start it. I don't have a camera on this computer. Oh, that's rude. I know. That's I, I definitely don't mean to be ducking <laughs> out here, you know, but... You, you should send me a photo and I'll just put it on my screen. That's, that's what I'll do instead. No, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. How are you? Oh, I'm I'm excited. And if I'm totally honest, Stephanie, I'm trying not to feel nervous. I feel uh, it just I'll just be really, really honest. I feel intimidated. I feel uh, oh. surprised that you're willing to take the time to talk to me. Um, <laughs> As you should. I feel very much like, uh, shoot, like... I don't want to waste your time. I hope I do a good job, you know? <laughs> uh, listen, I, I have a feeling you were prepared well. There's no wasted time, you know, when it comes to exploring different ideas. And you never know in an interview where these things can go. So I'm in it. I'm happy. I'm just sitting at home. It's not raining for the moment, which, by the way, let me close my back door. Oh, sure. Yeah, no problem. It is. It, I guess it's that season down there in the upside down, isn't it? Oh, listen, we have been, it's been raining here since early November, and I don't know what news you catch in the U.S. unless you watch something like PBS NewsHour, but we are, I mean, we're used to fire, drought. Um, <laughs> all the extremes. Floods, all the extremes, but the, but the weather system that's been in for the last week, I would say, it, we don't even have language to describe <laughs> what's happening. The flooding from all the way up in Queensland down to into New South Wales now, uh, you know, it's just, it's extraordinary. It's, it's yeah. unprecedented. It has never, never been seen before. And so we're in the mix of that. I'm good. I'm kind of near the coast, so I'm a little bit more protected from that. And I'm not on the coast, so I don't have to worry about my house slipping into the ocean or anything. Right, yeah, um, that's... But I mean, just 30 kilometers from me here, people have had no phones, no power, no water, no food. Um, 30% of all of the meat packing um, or meat producing places are all underwater now. Half the crops have been totally destroyed. It's just, it is horrendous what's happening here. I get, you know, between that and Ukraine, and we just lost our most loved cricketer, this morning at the age of no. 52 years old to a heart attack. It's a little heavy over here. Yeah. And I've got to imagine if it weren't for the conflict in Ukraine, we'd be hearing more over here about the current weather situation there. Yes. I'd imagine, Absolutely. especially after the fires, you've got to be worried about landslides and stuff too. Well, exactly. And we don't, you know, we don't, it takes so long in these events to recover. Like yeah. a fire, like fires in 2019, you know, those people are still years away from recovering. Yeah. The floods in 2011 up in Queensland, it's only been a year and a half that they've actually gotten everything back together now, and mm. they've just been wiped out again. Um, yeah, it's unlike the tornadoes. You know, I, my brother lives in Kentucky, so I follow <laughs> the tornado tracks um, yeah. down there. You know, but it's kind of, a, as you know, they're totally devastating, but they're in a relatively small window or yeah. frame, you know, line. We're here, the floods are just, you know, they can take out everything. Right. It's not like, like the tornado that touches down one spot and then That's lifts right. off and touches down somewhere else. Exactly. Exactly. So this is, you know, you know, you've got 1,100 people missing. You've got still oh, missing. Man. You've got not enough. And almost all of our services are, are volunteer here. Yeah. Uh, and these people are absolutely fabulous coming together as communities. But um you know, we need a different model for these kind of events, given they're occurring more regularly. So, yeah. 
Yeah, so, you know, it's been a few sleepless nights paying attention. And, of course, everybody knows people in all of these areas. So we're, yeah. you know, you're, you're constantly checking in on people or getting messages back of what people might be needing or worrying about people we haven't heard about for several days. And it's um, a wild situation. We need no more nothing else to deal with i think mentally for a while so yeah we need a break right <laughs> exactly where are you located i'm in utah you are where are you yeah. uh right 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 about in the middle of the the inhabited part of it anyway i'm sure you're familiar with provo that's kind of the second where yeah. byu is so i'm, yeah. I'm in a city that's kind of a sister city to provo just north of it called oh, Orem. Cool. that's a beautiful area where you are oh, yeah i sure love it there are a couple of mountains here in particular behind my house that i'm in love with enough that it makes my wife yeah. jealous so <laughs> couldn't get away from fair these enough. mountains <laughs> fair enough but yes, this, is, I, this is one of the things i wanted to ask you about stephanie I, I i'm i've got to know you through your books in maybe a backward way maybe it's not surprising because of what i'm talking to you about being piping right but right. i like went from piping then back to training on how to learn and then back to live interviews you know and so I was surprised to find out you're not Australian yourself, in part because I was reading your books and there are S's where I expect there to be Z's, right? <laughs> so I thought, oh, this, this Australian lady, you know, has a lot of great things to say. And then I hear you talking without an Australian accent. And I go, now, wait just a second. Um, well, I so can, I where, can, where are you from? I, well, I was born in Connecticut and uh, was raised there. See, I've been here so long that I forget I'm American as well. And, and it really only comes out in my accent. It's, um, I mean, I think I have a broad Australian accent, which of course makes everybody laugh, but I can't get rid of <laughs> American accent. But raised in Connecticut, uh, went through my early school there, spent a few months then in Phoenix uh, before going back to Connecticut. And that was all until I came out of high school. And then after that, it was uh, down south in the military in uh, Alabama and Georgia and then up in New Jersey and then my career kind of took off so that's yeah you know, I've been everywhere since then and um, but I left us I left the U.S. in 87 so I've been here for 35 years I see so that's so when you're talking about like like the weather events you're experiencing there in Australia at this point you don't feel like you know, when you first go to a new place, you you still feel apart from it. And so you would say like, right. oh, they are having right. a hard time here. But at this point, you are saying we are having a hard yeah, time. Yeah, we here. are. We are having a hard time here. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, in 35 years is, you know, I only spent 10 years of my adult life in the state. So, you know, my hmm. dominant life experiences have yeah. been down here in Australia. So. so if I asked you where you're from, I mean, would you be far more likely to say Australia than Connecticut? Oh, no. I mean, what happens is, um, I mean, I can hardly go a day where if I'm traveling around Australia, people don't ask me where I'm from. Uh, sure, so when sure. I, when I say, I'm, well, I'm from Freshwater. They go, no, where are you really from? <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so no, you can ask. I'm definitely, you know, certainly was raised in, in the States and had good experiences up until I was 30 years old. So yeah. I don't know. And I mean, like, I, I don't live in Australia, of course, so this is an outsider's point of view, right? But I, it seems to me like the culture of Australia is so much, it's like such a recent colonial um, heritage for a lot of the inhabitants there that maybe a foreigner said with air quotes, 
is yes. kind of comfortable in that place because it's kind of like how many of us are not foreigners you know what i mean yes or don't or don't feel like you are for yeah. sure i mean i i don't know what the stats are but we're certainly way up in the top of the list of uh, multicultural societies yeah. here so it's um you know that's very much embedded and and of course you know we probably accommodate that better than they do in in other parts of the world and yeah. and yet we can still always be doing more with that sure. so cuz sure. this is don't forget this is a british colonial right country, of course so it really has kind of still that deep roots of patriarchal societies and the way our government runs, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that's mm -hmm. far more deeply ingrained than it is even in the U S mm -hmm. it's changing, but it's much more rooted in, in the UK system mm -hmm. than it, than it resembles the U S in any way. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. The, the now, Steffi, do you, do you have a preference for how you like to be addressed? Do you prefer Dr. Burns? No, or Steph, Steph, just Steph. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, you can in what you you can say whatever you want in the introduction, uh -huh. uh, but then it's just no. It's more comfortable to banter back and forth in a, in an informal way. You know, I don't know enough about it about the the art of writing or speaking to to know how it is, but I do think that that I have tried to read like generic self help books before, and yeah. that I feel patronized is that the word yeah. patronized infantilized often yes. you know yes um, don't do that don't read any more but your books don't do that to me you know and no. so there is something about this that feels yeah. personal you know it feels like stephanie's it, talking to me yes you know? exactly and yeah i would I never recommend anybody buy anything on the personal self-help bookshelf mm -hmm. um, with only a few exceptions because you know they take oftentimes these people are not experts in their field or in that field mm. number two so they grabbed onto little nuggets then they pared it down to absolute prescriptive you know the three keys to successful happiness yeah there are no three keys to successful happiness yeah. no three keys to anything right um that kind of so, language is conspicuously missing from your books absolutely there's none of it in there i you mean you know and that. Yeah. And if I use some sort of like quip, like a one liner where people write me and go, God, that should be on a T-shirt kind of thing. And I've got yeah. lots of those. Um, but it's been backed up by it's, you know, it's it's that that is the end result of a logical presentation of the theory. Sure. You know, so it's it's there's a there's a an idea that says. I think Einstein used to talk about this, but, you know, you go through the complexity to the simplicity. Mm. So meaning you have to be smart enough to understand the complexity of something. Richard Feynman would be a great example of that, the, the great physicist. You know, you go through the complexity, understanding it well enough in order to be able to make it simple in a and speak of it in layman's terms. Yeah, um, that makes sense. What those personal development books do is they tend to, not know any of the complexity they just go around the complexity uh, they skip straight to the quip uh, and and they do that because it sells let's let's yeah. face it you know if i wanted to uh which is why i've turned down all the offers to write kind of books that would end up on the new york times bestseller list i certainly have the capacity to do that i have the content to do that but what they do with your work to minimize it and bastardize it is to me, reputation killing. I'd rather never, ever produce work like that. So yeah. that's just personal choice. Not It's not everybody's choice, but it's mine. Yeah, well, it makes sense. Like, like, and I can see how, like, I'm trying to remember now, I think it was in Move Closer, Stay Longer that you said something like um, uh, both, was it that, oh, not, 
was it that both procrastination and proactivity are learned behaviors or something Persist- along those lines? Persistence, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So like there are quippy things, sure. But sure. like you say, there's, there, you, there's, you then explain why, right? You then give us like yeah. an explanation behind it. It's not just yeah. that. And it's an explanation that is universal in the way that we can all grab onto it. Like we all had parents or caregivers who kind of installed these messages that we then kind of internalize and move forward with in life. And so, (laughs) you know, there is, I mean, that, that book's on the back end of the PhD. So that's five years of work Yeah, and a hell of a lot of teaching afterward. I mean, you know, Mm. many, many years of teaching to try to get to see if I could make that message, um, understood and applicable and could I then strategically get people to shift out of procrastination behavior and in the new book for the Piper and that's not really for Pipers any longer but for the musicians uh that procrastination and persistence piece is done in pretty much in full in that book Mm -hmm. because that's where it comes up like if you've been playing for 10 years and you're kind of settled into it you know you're probably not procrastinating very much around practice and getting the band and memorizing your music etc but those first three or four years for a beginning player yeah. uh, are, are hell is procrastination that probably kills 90 percent of them off because they don't know how to manage that um that natural instinct to avoid things that are uncomfortable and it's really right. uncomfortable when yeah. you first start learning to play you, you know it's it's a really challenging thing if you don't have your mindset right as a matter of fact in that book which is for adult beginners uh, or for people who are coming back to music, mm-hmm. I would say, you know, you know, somebody said, well, what kind of strategies are you going to teach beginners? I said, there are no strategies for beginners. It's all survival, right? <laughs> yeah, so it's 90, all survival. I love that. <laughs> 90% of that book is mindset work. Yeah. 90, yeah. Where the other two books, probably 30% is mindset, getting their heads right, and then uh-huh. I can, then I get into teaching, right? Yeah. Um, no, this other book is like, I wouldn't be able to, what am I going to tell a beginner about how to practice? It's like, just, really, it's just, I just need them to go practice yeah. every day. I don't care what they do, you know? So, yeah. Anyway. It, that, that's one of the things that has stood out to me is interesting, and, I, and that I wanted to ask you about, Stephanie, like, like you, well, Okay, so may- maybe to set this up, actually, maybe I could orient our, the listeners just a little bit more, if you don't mind me asking you some more biographical questions. Depending. Now, wait, okay, answer this being, now, so are we interviewing now and you're going to edit? Yeah, does that work for okay. you? Yeah, that's so, fine. I, that? I just thought maybe you might be getting over your nerves and then you were going to go, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm ready. That's about right. <laughs> And go. No, yeah, I, mean, I it, it, partly because of my inability to like ever feel settled about like having put something together well. The way that yeah. these episodes have mostly ended up happening is the interview kind of fades in around the time when it starts to feel like an interview is happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, so. and you can and you can use all of this. I don't yeah. mind this. I don't mind an hour, an hour and a half, whatever, of just bantering because useful things will come out of that for sure. Um, and by the way, you did ask in your email if you could use that um, story and you, uh, from artistry and training. You certainly can do that if, if you feel appropriate. So anyway, thank you. Kick off and you know get us oriented, and and we will continue on. Yeah. Well, so this is one thing that I'm sure you've thought about before. I, I'd imagine you probably have. For people like me, most of us in the piping and drumming community, we probably are thinking of you as 
the the lady who writes great books for pipers and drummers, right? Yes. But you do a lot of other things, you know, like it's it's almost it's almost like if somebody had heard of Winston Churchill, but as a painter. Right. And they're right. like, oh, yeah, the guy who does watercolors. <laughs> right? Exactly like, right. You know, he's done know. some other things. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's really funny. There are because I tend to work within a community. I like, yeah. you know, the pipe band community, what it offered me in what I wanted to give thought I could give to music or people who play music was what it gave me was a, a huge demographic worldwide mm-hmm. from 11 year old kids up to 80 year olds, yeah. men and women and people at every great appliance. That is a massive demographic in yeah. order to put this work forward. And um, so yes, people in the pipe band, that's all they know. They, you know, it's like I got born and then I just did this thing. <laughs> right. born, at, born at 60 and I decided to do this. But there are other people, I mean, I'll get an email from someone saying, oh, are you still living in Italy? That's like, <laughs> yeah. Really, or, or how how are your horses? That's another right. Thing, right? Yeah, that's how that's what I keep thinking. Like for others, you must be the ballroom dance lady or the Italian right. lady <laughs> exactly or the right. horse riding lady. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and really, like I don't belong to any of those other communities, but I've got to imagine that what you've done for them is similar to what you've done for piping and drumming. And so it seems like yes, this is a lifetime of work, you know, like yes. it wouldn't be surprising to me if all of your work had been for the pipe band community, but no, there's, there is a lot more. Um, yeah. Yeah. But and, one of the and, things and that I, Oh, go ahead. But, no, you go. Just, just, I have wondered um, if what has your experience been, if like, I'm just thinking to myself, like, as you've gone through these experiences of like kind of diving in deep to learn new skills and to become a mm-hmm. part of a community, um, mm-hmm. like, I'd imagine it, it seems like what ends up happening probably is that you uncover like principles, like core principles that are applicable in a lot of different situations. But I wonder yeah. if like, if you're talking to a piper is the first metaphor that comes to mind, a horse riding metaphor. And then you have to think to yourself, okay, now wait a minute, this isn't a horse person. I've got to, I've got to, so the principle that's behind that horse riding metaphor is still true and applicable, but now I've got to translate it to Piper language or into Italian or into ballroom language or whatever it is. Now, yeah, those things kind of happen quite naturally and, Mm -hmm. um, and quite organically. Uh, I mean, this work's been growing probably since the mid eighties for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Excuse me. No problem. Um, And so as I get smarter or saturate into more, kind of complex development things, you know, more things bubble to the surface and are being kind of carried forward. And there's lots of times, like I've spent the last two years just really bringing everything back together again. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't, I find that I might not use a horsemanship metaphor for a piper, but so much of life is universal. You know, be it struggling, losing a job, you know, challenges that people have faced etc so i oftentimes have a bag full of kind of generalized universals that would work in any group i was working with yeah that makes sense. and it's not it's not uncommon for me to use an example out of the time you know like move closer stay longer right like that's centered in i use the horsemanship thing to as the backstory to carry the theories the theory and practice forward yeah it, otherwise, otherwise it was just going to be too dry but I guarantee you 10 times more people who are not horsemen have read that book and used it. 
Yes, that makes. They've so much used sense. it to like learn how to swim, or they've used it to learn how to drive over a bridge, or how to ask for a raise, or to move cities, or to perform on the pipes. You know, it's like it, the books, while they're embedded in a community, are easily understood by people outside of that community. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things that, you know, I mentioned that I feel a little bit nervous talking to you, you know, a little bit like you're, um, you, you, you know, you're, 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 uh, I feel like you're rather above me, very polished, you know, <laughs> and, and just practice, I'm but, probably older than you, and I've been doing this a long time. But, but, but one of the things that kind of humanized you for me was opening up, move closer, stay longer, and seeing like, so for me personally, I'm not a horseman. And honestly, yeah. I'm terrified of horses. They're huge. Yeah. They have big mouths. They they could stomp on me. And you you admitted that you also were afraid of horses. You know, yes. you had to get over that. And I went, oh, <coughs> he's a human like me. You know, and mm. and, and uh, it, it just it feels a little bit like um sure. like well those 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 moments of you being willing to say um, I was not born sufficient. <laughs> Right. Like I went through the process and now yeah. let me talk to you about the process. Right. That's yeah. kind of what this is all yeah. about. Right. Yes. I mean, all of the all of the stories in the books are true. Sometimes they're they're um, kind of multiple characters or stories or events that have been brought together into sure. a story that makes. So it makes a point. Mm -hmm. But all of the personal stuff is absolutely you know, right out of the journal or right out of my memory, right yeah. out of, there's no sense not doing that. You can't, and I'm not like cheesing them on by going, well, I was afraid of horses too. That's why you should listen to me. It's like, no, this is like a real life lived thing. And I spent five years trying to sort this thing out for Pirelli, which in fact then ultimately helped the other students um, yeah. along the way. That's where the book came from. So, um, no, that was very real. If I were to wax poetic as I was looking at that book, it seemed to me like, you might say that these the principles and and sort of like the the elementary core important things that Stephanie is trying to get across are placed in a saddlebag <laughs> and then <laughs> the horse is the vehicle that delivers it to me the reader because like you say if if you just gave us the principles maybe it'd be too dry right it is, and yeah. so you utilize story as like this vehicle to get the principles into exactly. our heads and you know just like this the pipe band books like that move closer book I was saturated in that community at that mm -hmm. time. I was mm -hmm. working with Pirelli, kind of redesigning their educational materials. And, and to do that, I needed to be a student so I could see what the experience of their educational materials would do to me as a human being. And so I was so involved in that uh, community that when it came to write kind of the practice, the, pra the theory and the practice and strategies mm. for persistence and procrastination, uh, and fear, the it. I wanted to write it for that community. They were the ones sitting in front of me every day. It was like a mm. gift to write that book for that community, uh, as opposed to writing it as a generalized book. And it is the same with the two books that have already come out for Pipers and Drummers. Yeah, that work relates to anyone trying to learn anything. Uh, but I'm saturated in the community and felt like something I could do for that community um, specifically for all the things they're giving me, you know, it was a way of giving something back. And, yeah. Like not, not only do you use like our lingo, you know, you're clearly one of us in your writing, but, but you also, it's like, um, it's like you're, you're willing to make yourself the Guinea pig before prescribing sure. anything, right. You're, you're going to go through it yourself and then say, Absolutely. you know, and I think that that's part of that lens to the sort of like genuineness of the work as well. 
Well, because there's kind of a cycle for me. So I, you know, I will have several years of doing research that's required for me to think through a problem that most, that no one has solved before. Mm -hmm. So there's that phase. And then when I start to really get a grip on the theory, it helps inform kind of the practice or the strategy, what you would do about it, but that needs to be tested. Now, in my work at the moment, a lot of those tests, like with the drumming, that's a 10-year process, mm -hmm. right? You cannot ethically ask subjects to come along for 10 years and do anything. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I have to do it first, make and see if what I've come up with works for me. Now, if it works for me, then I'll grab 10 human beings and I will ask them to volunteer time with me six months a year. And I will test whether it works for a more general group. Yeah. If that works, then I will start to present like a piping hot summer drummer. Like, you know, I'll do the whole school there or the, or the pipe band school in Germany. I'll do the whole school there because I know now that this stuff works 100% of the time for 100% of the people. Yeah. Once it's there and I feel like, yes, this is solid, then I will write about it. And you get those. I love. I love the style of having other, like, like really great pipers and drummers, people yeah. who who I would recognize, kind of like in conversation with the book as I read it. That is yes. so yeah. helpful. It was. It was like it was. You know, the, you know what sparked all this off was I was attending the schools for my own skills mm -hmm. and uh, uh, and had see. I never intended to do any work in the pipe band community. Yeah. At all. That was not an intention. I was doing this to say, okay, I'm looking for a 10 year complex development project and I want to do this just for me. I don't care if anyone knows I'm doing it. And I thought, okay, I'm just, you know, so anyway, long, long story, I ended up with a rudimental drum instructor here in Australia and he sent me off to the, to the uh, Australian pipe band summer school yeah. after four months of playing with all yeah. things and uh i went down and bob Worrell was there with pipes keith Orr was there on drums i mean it was like all these things. i didn't know who any of these people were yeah but anyway a guy this is the story in the in the memory book you know a guy virtually came up and said on the first night oh i've been told to come and talk to you you know that's right you thought I, you were going to have anonymity there huh? anonymity <laughs> i thought 10 years no one's gonna know me and you yeah. have to know in my life that's like priceless for me yeah. to be in the world where nobody knows who i am and of course he comes up and says you know and i've been told you could help me and i said first thing i said was who told you that yeah <laughs> and he pointed to a guy who had been a student of mine like 20 years before and anyway you can't him. get away <laughs> nope and his problem was memorizing music, which really wasn't. And I asked him why. He said, it's because I'm getting old. I knew that wasn't the problem. Yeah. Um, I offered to meet with him for dinner, give him a 20 minute thing on, you know, memory strategies he could muck around with overnight. When I went to the dinner, there were like six other old men. Yeah. And I said, well, because they're all older than me. Right. Yeah. Going, me too. I, me too. Yeah. I've got this problem as well. So we did that. And then the school heard about it. Then I lectured the next day at the whole school. And that word just spread like wildfire. Yeah. There, so there now goes. When I would go to a school. Yeah. I'm coming back to this, to the story of these, of the guys getting in the book. So when I would go to Piping Hot, mm -hmm. uh, as a drum student, they would ask me to lecture to the school. And it was in that second year, maybe, or even, even 
might've been in the second year I was there. What I noticed, cause I would run around and sit in on like beginner and advanced piping and drumming classes when I had time just to see yeah. how the teaching was done. And, you know, it was amazing if a student on that day asked that question of Jack Lee, Jack Lee absolutely had the magical mm -hmm. solution. Mm -hmm. But I started to realize if you weren't in that class on that day when that student asked that question to Jack Lee, you were never going to hear it. Mm -hmm. So I was, I said to Steve McWhorter, who's my teacher, I said, you know, listen, this is insane. These guys are never going to write ever. Yeah. It's just not, they're... it's just not what they're going to do. And all this knowledge and quality of development that they do with pipers and drummers, it will be lost. You see a whole library go away with them. Huh? Uh, I know. I know. It's, and there's nothing written in the pipe band world. You know, yeah. if you go to a conference in any other subject anywhere in the world, what's outside the door, the book table. Books, books, right? books. Yeah. <laughs> there are no books in piping and drumming. Yeah. Um, so I, anyway, anyway, I just said, listen, I, can I get 15 minutes with the four guys um to make a pitch and if they go they go so anyway, i did that and i it basically was like i know the theory i understand development i understand learning strategies i'm a good writer and i'm willing to write if you will add your anecdotal stories in so if something yeah. i've written it goes oh god that's right i remember when i had a student like this or when i was a kid i used to you just give me the stories that pop out of your mind based on reading. And they all said yes. So yeah. that's how that started. And um, now I won't do that for the third book because it is for anyone playing any musical. I no longer sure, can. Sure, like, that makes sense. More yeah. people want to play the cello and the flute. And yeah. Other they, they, deserve, they deserve your attention too. We'll, we'll share you with they them. Do. <laughs> they, they do. And, and yet every piper and drummer who's read the other books or who knows me will get, they will feel like I'm still talking to them because that's kind of still who I'm writing it for. Yeah. Um, it's just, I'm, I feel like now I'm being a little bit silly, not expanding this to, yeah. I, otherwise I get emails. Well, I, I want to learn to play the guitar. Will this help me? You know, it's yeah. like, I don't want to get 50 billion emails like that. <laughs> just, just get the book out there. So they'll leave you alone. Just get it out there. <laughs> and it'll be guys like you that'll help me do it because I, as you've seen, and through all the work, I don't promote anything. That I, is one uh, remarkable thing. Yeah. I no 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 nothing against my friends who do produce things and promote them heavily. Right. Totally fine. But I've yeah. never seen an ad for any of your work. And yet, of course, I know about it because everybody who comes in contact with it is an enthusiastic disciple of your work. You know, like it yeah. spreads like gospel, you know, <laughs> and that's what I want. I want people who come in contact with it to have their reference point, someone they trust. Yeah. Who's read it and has found value in it. Like yeah. I care. Le it will. Those books like I mean, even Great Lives We Live By, which I wrote like in 1994 or something. That book still sells every month. That's the next one on my list. I still haven't read that one, but just yeah. from the title, I love that title. That's a that's a classy title. Yeah, so I would love that's a book I'd like to rewrite now mm, that it's yeah. 30 years later. And it's not because anything in it is wrong. I just know better how to write mm. uh, what I want to do. And that will, when I finish the fourth book, which will be the performance book, because that's going to be enough to crack. Mm. Uh, I've been working on that for five years now. Um, but when I finish that, I've got all of the transcripts needed for the Great Lives We Live By book kind of sitting there ready to go. I just need yeah. that mental capacity to do that. that. Like I said, there's so much now. I See, so what I learned in the books for the Pipers and Drummers finally was how to teach in a book. 
Ah, right. sure, sure. Having done so That's much really like, conferences and stuff, it's it's different I'm to sit down get, and write it. Huh? Yep. I can get students anywhere I want to go if I'm live. Yeah. But to write in a way that paces the reader, mm. um, it, one gets their head straight first. Um, and then on from that, when I say, turn your page over, then I'm, they'll do that. Yes, yes. The, the, the memorization like exercise. Right, yeah. right, yeah. Yeah, that, that yeah. When, you, when you talked about the, like, uh, picturing the word as being like a neon sign and things like that, right? Um, or, or actually, now I can't remember if you said to picture it like a neon sign or if that was my friend Mike who brought that up. Yeah. And that's how he did it. But you, t- you mentioned, like, you know, using different colors for the words and stuff like that. And, yeah, like, as I'm reading the book, I'm turning the pages when you say to and stuff. It feels much more like a conversation than like yeah. a book. Yeah. Um, it, it's a unique it's, experience to read that, the, to read that style yeah. for sure. Because if I couldn't crack that style, there I couldn't have written the books because people would have read the books, gone, like, gee, I like the book, and never done anything with it. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. I wanted, I'm not willing to write anything that can't produce the result I could pr- produce face-to-face. And that means, so when I get emails back, it's like, holy smokes, I just memorized the first part of a, my very first tune, or yeah. <laughs> I just did my very first recital because I felt confident that I knew my music. It's like, that's what I want to hear. Yeah. And when I hear that, I go, yes, I've run, rung the right bell, but it has taken bloody 30 years to crack how to write like that for me. Yeah. It's And there's not even a lot of models that I could follow, you know, going, who else yeah. is doing this? Richard Feynman, you know, the physicist has done that brilliantly. And, uh, yeah. You know, but nothing in my own area or field. So, yeah, yes, I, I, I'm not that. super well read myself, you know, so it's not like I would be a judge. But this is I, I certainly have never come across. I mean, I read a lot of novels. And so I guess I wouldn't come across something like this, you know, but 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 Stephanie, what, your personality is so delightful to me um, in that you are you are so gung-ho about throwing yourself i mean you are the only person who i know of who would say what i wanted was a 10-year long project (laughs) you know that would be that would be difficult i know and like i've heard you talk about just like deciding to write with your left hand (laughs) you know (laughs) while learning scotch gaelic or something right you're going to learn it by writing it with your left hand has this has this always been a part of you like when you were a child in Connecticut were you a kid who would like look out the window and think what could be hard today I'm gonna yes. go do that yeah. and no question about it and I can be um, no I'm not ambitious in, in any sense and I'm not competitive like I'm not I'm, and I'm not achievement oriented I don't do anything to going oh, I'm gonna go achieve this I do it because it just fascinates me and I'm mm. curious and I'm probably a little bit obsessive about certain things Mm. and within my own domains because they make me smarter about things. I'm always, my mind then is always activated getting insights that might be then useful later to share with other people. Um, But even as a little kid, I mean, and I would say that most, if I look at the drivers, most all of it centered around language of some sort. So Mm. I, if I couldn't read it, I wanted to, I wouldn't stop until I could, you know, Mm. my dad used to laugh that I used to carry medical books and technical books around with me. And he'd go, I know you can't read that. And I would say, yeah, you know, I can't Hmm. read it yet. And then it was like, he'd help me nut through vocabulary and so on and so on. But that's language in anything. And so that's what got me into the military and engineering because somebody had shown me engineering schematics. And I thought, what in the world would it feel like to read mm. this? 
Like, I, I, I see, know like, there are human beings who look at this and it makes sense to them. Right, right. And I want to know what that feels like. So, and it was the same thing with two-handed piano music, same thing with math, uh, science, all, all anything technical, you know, brain images or maps of the brain. It's like, there are people who know what this says. I yeah. wanna, I'm not going to stop till I know what it says. And when I know what it says, I may do nothing with it. Mm-hmm. But I know a little more than, you know, the aim I suppose for me is I always joke is going to bed at night knowing something I didn't know when I woke up, you know. Yeah. So. Well, uh, and these projects are long, you know, I'm not, if I'm going to dive, used to be projects were three to five years. Now the projects are, you know, even longer than that, up, up to 10 years. And, you know, you just go, okay, how many 10 year blocks do I have left on the planet? Really? Yeah. Um, to dive into the things that interest me. Well, and it feels like at least, you know, this is me on the outside looking in, but it feels like I, I would imagine that it, it probably, it, it looks kind of like what you have is like multiple large, like multiple multi-year projects that are projects unto themselves, but then it's all fitting together into this puzzle that is a big project itself, which yeah. like, yeah. is it fair for me to try to distill it into something simple like learning, adult learning? Or, or is, or is yeah. it more teaching how to teach? I'm not, you know, or are they, are they yeah, the same thing? I, I don't know. There are really, you're right. I mean, it's a lot of tributaries coming into like building this bigger tunnel. And I wouldn't have even known what it was until probably 20 years ago, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. Um, but it as I have matured, it seems to come, I think there are a few big branches. There, one is certainly how to teach effectively which means because it's you need to, all this same underlying theory, you need to understand this instrument. So if we have one foundation, how does this instrument work? Mm, how does yeah. the brain and the nervous system function as an instrument and what can you do with it? Yeah. How fast can you make it? How strong can you make it? How articulate can you make it? How, you know, I'm interested in the development of the human system, but not in a generalized way. That's why, you know, I'm working with you today, I'll have a 15 year old kid tomorrow working on some bloody weird thing for school mm-hmm. and a 60 year old person who's trying to figure out how to get back on her horse after having a, had a traumatic event. And then yeah. I'll be in a corporate setting with a senior team at a bank. And, you know, it's like, it's because my work is so grounded in one, in harder sciences, biology, neurology, physiology, et cetera. I'm working with more how humans are alike than how mm. they're different, um, which gives me a lot of power to walk into a horsemanship group or a motorcycling group or, a, you know, an Olympic Taekwondo team or, you know, or yeah. it may be and be effective with them. Uh, so the threads to me are really around development. How, how do you develop this instrument? to do what it's, what it's capable of doing. And that obviously then is if you're a teacher or a coach, how do you know what I know in order to affect the changes in your own people who are around you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't feel like I personally even had like a concept of like continuing adult development beyond like the age 18 mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like biology and psychology and all kinds of things. Until like I accidentally stumbled across like some work by people like James Fowler um, mm. and, and people who have built on his work that, that it's felt like they so like I, I guess Stephanie what, what I'm saying is I don't know how much of this is my own ignorance of it but it, I wonder do you feel like your experience in that field of like 
even even being willing to consider the possibility that adults continue to develop and learn beyond 18 years old was that was this field of study in in a very broad way of speaking well established when you came into it or do you feel like because for me it feels like humanity as a whole is only just recently within a number of decades becoming aware of this And like, well, then, are you yeah. pushing it along in some way yourself? Well, I am in the ways that you see, you know, represented, but again, not popping out into the uh, generalized field of being a spokesman for that. But when I first came in, it was this thinking still was that adults did not, the adult brain didn't change. Yeah. Now there was some evidence that it was likely. So we had some hypothetical understanding but in my world because i would i'm more a practitioner a more applied researcher Mm. it baffled me that i could take a group of adults in the morning who couldn't do something and by the evening they could yeah and then by the next morning they could do it again now that to me said something has happened the brain is changing fundamentally they are building new networks Mm -hmm. There was no technology to enable us to see that process happen. Mm. So we had to wait really until coming into say the mid nineties or so until we started to see evidence of the changing brain in adults all the way through their lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. Now people like me grabbed onto that literature because we were looking for the theoretical underpinnings for what we were already doing. Mm. And to have it be grounded in hard science, not grounded in, well, maybe this, maybe that, maybe kind of, you know, it used to be like, you know, you have 20 potential theoretical uh, for a particular practice, but this cut this down to like one. Mm. And what that did was it enabled people like me to refine the practice. Like you look at memory strategies, like I taught in that book, they've been taught for bloody 3000 years and not changed so the practice of teaching people to memorize new things has been around forever yeah and so the practices have not changed but our understanding of how the how the brain is doing that has changed which allowed me to then refine those strategies specifically in the area of music which is you know was the focus of that book yeah so it is, and you're, but on, on your point, culturally, listen, I can listen to a news program or, you know, something on TV every single day that still talks about being too old at 30 to go back to school. I want to throw up every day. I throw shoes at my TV Yeah, because <laughs> it, the culture doesn't get this. It's like, and the critical thing now for me and why I'm banging on about this is that science has gotten very good at keeping us alive, mm. really. Like average lifespans going into the 80s, many people living into the 90s, etc. Uh, that means from the time you say hit 60, you might have 30 more years on the planet. Science is going to get is really good at keeping you alive. It doesn't care what condition you're in. Doesn't care yeah. if it's in an aged care facility in a bed. Doesn't care whether you're on a walker and can't take care of yourself. Mm. And there is no reason for people to fall off of that cliff and have 30 miserable years. They're just not. There's way too right. much evidence. And there's way too many people who in their 70s, 80s, and 90s are still firing on all 12 cylinders. Right. It doesn't say you don't age, but in the things you age, it doesn't stop you from doing 
99.9% of the things you want to do. Look at David Attenborough or mm-hmm. Ruth Bader Ginsburg or any anyone you 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 know you look up to is as being wise is going to be in their 70s, 80s, and 90s. Yeah. So when yeah. I see so many people who drink the Kool-Aid that at 50 and their knee is sore, oh my God, I'm aging, so I'll stop doing what I just did. Right, now it's time to sit still and just wait, wait for the end, right? Yeah, (laughs) I mean, that line, use it or lose it, came up in the 1950s by a female neuroscientist, and that is absolutely true, absolutely. So I'm kind of gearing up. I do a lot of work in that space now in in groups that ask for that work, but I probably, if I ever were going to make a generalized contribution on the planet, it would be to write to that community who's 40 and 50 and, or even 30, 40 and 50 years old today. Yeah. Uh, and the decisions they're making now, because they're, they got better odds of living a long time than a short time. Like it used to be great. Like my parent, grandparents and great grandparents, you know, they went off to work, they did their career, they retired at 65 and they did a hobby for two years, uh, which is great. And then they died. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was perfect. But, that right, is but now, if you do a hobby for two years, you still got 18 more after that, right? Yeah. And then you go, okay, well, now that's happened to me at 50. Like, well, now what am I going to do? Now what? I mean, I'm 54, so I've got 25 years. But now what am I going to do? It's like, you know, okay, good. I learned to speak, you know, and write Italian fluent. Okay, now what am I going to do? It's like, after a few years of doing that, it was like, Burns, you really, really need to think this through. It's not, your hobbies will not sustain you. It has to be something vocational has yeah. to be here it has to be what can i do in 30 years and that's why like at 58 it wasn't hard for me to pick a 10-year development project mm-hmm. so i figured great i don't want to end this in three years and wonder what i'm doing right yeah i'm tired of that you know let this take 10 years and then i still have 20 years to to use it right yeah right? yeah yeah that's you- why I, I encourage so many people in their 50s and 60s to go back to university because it only takes five to seven years if you're going to go for a PhD. And then you've got 25 years to use what you just learned. And you're smarter when you're older than you ever were in your 20s. Right. That That is the thing that I feel like I, I've only ever heard it from you. The idea that adults <laughs> have better brains than kids. And I, How and sad I, is that? It's like that sounds revolutionary to me. And I think to myself, it's too good to be true. Are you telling me my best my best days could still be ahead of me? I thought they were over. You know what I mean? Um, I know. But but then you you have things to back this up, like the guys you're talking about who are, were all like, no, I can't memorize music. Or that great story you tell about the group of women who are like, we can't remember anything. You're like, okay, let's make <laughs> that's a right. list of all the things you can't remember. <laughs> you know? I know. Like, so that's you don't just awesome. say these things. You're backing them up, you know? Yeah. And you're able to point at things and say, no, look. Look how long it took you to learn to read when you were a kid, yeah. right? In fact, but that that makes me think of this guy who I heard talking about having worked with you that really, um, it felt like a big deal. His name is Alan Parker. I, I don't oh, know yeah. how much you know oh. him or how much you work with him, but if I'd heard this interview with him where he talked about how like for a lot of his life, he couldn't read. He was like below like literacy, basically, yeah. right? Like, like, what do you say? Like 50 words a minute, but very low retention as well or comprehension. Yeah. Yeah. And he did like some eye 
exercises or something that improved it, but he was still like a hundred words per minute and hardly any uh, comprehension. And he said in like one week of working with you, he went to like 1200 words per minute and a hundred percent comprehension. This is well into adulthood, you know? Yeah. And like, I just, I, if I pause for a minute and just, he, he mentions, I don't know, he seems like kind of a reserved guy and I only listened to him for like five minutes. So I don't know him personally or anything. Right. But it seemed like you could see as he was talking about this, like just trying to put myself in his shoes and imagine what would it be like to live for decades in, in the developed world without a real ability to read, you know, like what, what are books, you know, this opportunity, their opportunities, their time machines, their passports. They're so, he is like, would have felt so shut off, right. From what other people are able to do. And he says that when he came away from it, like, like he's asked, like, what, what worked, you know, like, what did it, you know, and I'm not quoting him perfectly, but he said that something like what Stephanie's program did for me is it helped me to understand how I learn mm-hmm. and to value that. Yeah. And it, it, it just made me think like on a, on a different, a different scale, right? Like I can't, I can't comprehend like the huge turnaround that this guy has experienced. Right. But the small epiphanies that I've had, as I've been reading your work, you know, like how I learned to play piano being very sequential and mechanical, you know, like so, so different from, from the way that I look at music now, just having read a couple of your books, you know, um, it it just, it feels like, well, honestly, Stephanie, maybe I don't know where exactly I'm going with this, you know, like, like how to put this into language, but this feels like a big deal, you know, and like, maybe it can be a bigger deal for certain people because of where they're coming from to come to it. But it's applicable to so many things. And like, it opens up opportunity and hope. And, and these new experiences introduce you to new communities and like the value of having a community. Like we have people in our pipe band who didn't start learning until they were well into their sixties, you know, what would they be doing if they didn't have this community of people and, and, you know, something to go work on and stuff like that. Um, And that, and that's the stuff that floats my boat. I mean, Alan's story, and I, I've then went on to know Alan for decades and, and still know him today. We even taught a bit together and, uh, you know, he would say that that was the, you know, the transformational moment in his life, because on from that, he read everything he studied, he went yeah. back to school, he started teaching, he works with OECD countries, he's, he's a big deal in Australia, yeah. in, in many, many contexts, but you know, there would be 100,000 Allens in my world, and that was, I, again, it wasn't, I never cared what people did with it, I just knew it was all fundamental. What I taught Alan was basically how his brain works in the context of the behavior of reading. And then we, as I did everyone, and then we just aligned how they read to mm-hmm. how this instrument works. And yeah. then that's uh, not hard to do. Um, I, but what they went and did with it is like, I don't know. Yeah, so that's I, the personal that, part of it, huh? Yeah, I don't get the, again, I don't have a network. So I don't, I never wanted to have a fan base and I never wanted to have followers because if you have that, then you you have to keep doing the same work over and over again. You never mm. get time to actually get smarter. So, mm. you know, yes, I have people who, I have friends who will kill me for sometimes not getting out there and making it bigger. And mm. uh, But that's just a personal choice for me but you know you get but I'll get unsolicited messages I had a guy who said uh, wrote me and said I don't know if you remember me from this course and fortunately I did remember him and he said you know back then I was 
just a struggling soldier. I didn't really have an education. I didn't think I'd go forward. But after your course, I enrolled in university, got my degree, became an officer. And he was like the head of the leadership college in the Australian Defense Forces. Wow. I have another guy who became the spoke, you know, the mediator between the Dalai Lama and his audience. <laughs> really? Wow. You know, uh, it, it, the stories are are extraordinary, but they don't. Yeah. It's like thank you, that's really cool. But I don't do anything. I don't even publish any of that. I don't. Yeah. If it comes up as a point in a lecture mm-hmm. or in a book, I'll tell a story. But yeah. if it's not going to make a point that helps someone else, it's like that's just gratuitous. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't have mental capacity other yeah. than the, the smile I get out of reading that, and the, and they're really so grateful that they were able. Hey friends, the um, the audio cut out there for a minute. This is me from the future uh, in the editing process. So um, unfortunately, we lost just a couple minutes of the chat, but it comes back here. Um, so it seemed like a natural spot for me to insert this little note. Um, the conversation with Stephanie was really awesome. We did it a while ago. It's maybe obvious, maybe you could tell by some of the things we were talking about, that this is kind of an older interview, actually, but we were holding on to it until her new book came out, which is the beginner years, which has now been out for a, a little bit. Um, awesome book. I've been reading through it myself and really enjoying it a lot, finding it very applicable to not only bagpipes, but to, uh, to a lot of other things that, um, others, other music that I play myself, but also to helping other people to learn to play music and learn to get confident to get out on stage and stuff like that. So really cool book goes right along with the other she's written. It's also excellent. So, um, there'll be notes uh, in the show notes, links, I mean, in the show notes. Um, but if you go to stephanieburns.com, um, you know, she's got a link there that's just my books, and it's just got all the books that she's written. I have at this point now read through a few of her others that aren't bagpipe and drum specific as well, and they are also excellent. So, you know, maybe start with those bagpipe and drum ones, um, and then move on to the, the others. They're, they're all really great. Um, she's a cool person, as you can tell from the interview here. Um, other just standard notifications, just keep in mind that you can always leave the show positive ratings and reviews, and we're always going to appreciate it. If you want to support me via Patreon, um, go to patreon.com slash droningonpodcast and send money. I'm not going to say no to that. Um, and buy stuff at bagpipeswag.com. If you've got a pipe band or a folk or trad group or just a personal uh, Celtic music kind of trad music, bagpipe music, anything that's like reasonably tieable to bagpipes, let me know and uh, I can help you get set up selling your, your merch on there and you can make money too. But then aside from that, there's just cool stuff on there to buy as well. Um, what else? Social media. Follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, uh, droning.on.podcast, um, at droningonpodcast, that kind of stuff. You'll find it. There's links down there. Um, yeah, wh- why am I wasting your time here? Let's get back to talking with Stephanie. Bye-bye. My little book here. Um, that was done for the third book coming out when we talk about adults learning faster than kids, right? Mm, yeah. And I have all the theory behind that and all the stuff, and I thought... I'm going to need a visual representation that this is true, right? Yes. What yes. can I do? I can't you gotta back it up. I can't play music. I've got to back it up. Something. So two and a half now, almost three years ago, I thought, I know. Something I always wanted to do was be left-handed. And I mucked around with it when I was younger, but I didn't have the patience for it. And I thought, that's it. So I did 15 minutes a day at, with left-handed writing. And I, in the book, I talk about the things I knew about this in the sense that you can't engage your mind in thinking about what to write. 
end right because you can't you can't do that 15 minutes a day forever it's like you go crazy so I knew I needed to copy things just like a kid I knew I needed to write larger I knew I needed to write with something sticky like a pencil or a text up oh sure instead of a ballpoint yeah instead of a ballpoint I knew all that I started off on this little thing and I did that. And then after two and a half years, my handwriting is not too bad. No, what I just saw, it looks better than what I can do with my right hand. I know it's better than lots of people. It's better than any doctor is going to do with their right hand. That's for sure. (laughs) Hey, let's set you a higher bar than that. (laughs) And so in this section of the book, uh, and I'm talking about kids learning faster than adults or adults learning faster than kids. Yeah. They, the, what now, kids are phenomenal learning machines. They're learning everything, right, but it's sure. very diffuse. But if, yeah. you, if it's about a skill you have to learn, step-by-step, step, adults are going to outstrip kids. So anyway, so in this book, after this thing, I had a picture of the first page of writing I did and a picture of the two-and-a-half-year as a side-by-side to compare mm. them and a little note and i send that off i have two readers zephan nickel who's up with sfu mm-hmm. and a mate of mine here who's followed my work forever who's a, who plays piano and um they read all these little segments and both of them wrote back and said you are absolutely mad who spends two and a half years every day so you could maybe because i didn't even know it work yeah. maybe use this as a demonstration in a book you didn't even know you know, you hadn't even mapped out yet. I said, yeah. well, that's me. You know, they go, you're nuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you can't go, I want to do this and then decide. And then in, in like three months, do it. You know, it yeah. took two and a half years to get that enough experience with the left hand. But what it isn't is it isn't the 15 years that it takes a kid to do the same thing. Yeah. That, this is- also, I also have a photo of a seven-year-old's handwriting so I can compare, right? Yeah. This is a seven-year-old. This is me after the same amount of time. Anyway, so yeah, I'm a little crazy about that. that stuff. But that that feels like such a good distillation of like what I feel like happens so often as I read your books is that like there's some there are so many underlying assumptions. Like a fish doesn't know if it's wet, right? There are so many right. underlying assumptions that I don't even know to question them right. unless somebody calls my attention to them. And so it's a sim. It seems ridiculous for you to say that an adult could learn something better than a kid or faster than a kid, right? Because of these assumptions I have. But then when you do break that down, then I can think to myself, oh, well, yeah, of course an adult could learn to write left-handed more quickly than a child could learn to write right-handed because, you know, a, the adult already knows the alphabet, already knows how to spell, like already has gone through the experience with the yes. other hand. So like, it makes so much sense. Why did I ever question this in the first place? I know, I know. Um, and I feel like it's that way with so many other concepts, whether it's memorizing or or even like you, you have this interesting way, Stephanie, of like, sort of like separating things into entities that I had not previously separated out. Like you talk about how, like, even in this conversation, you mentioned how like science will keep you alive, but science doesn't care what you do with those years, right? Mm-hmm. Like in your books, you'll talk about how like, time will keep moving. Time doesn't care what you do. <laughs> you know, it's just going to keep going. And in a similar way, you talk about how like, your brain is this thing like, is it a tool? It, whatever it is, it's this thing. And you need to tell it what to focus on, you know? <laughs> yes. And like, wait, for me, I've been this homogenous thing all my life, right? From body to brain to soul, whatever, everything's tied together. But breaking that way of thinking is what unlocks the ability to go, 
like like this you you said it's like you want to treat our it's like it's like you suggest we treat our brains almost like they are babies right so like if we're if we're playing our music and we get our you know we get to a difficult part of the music and we and we mess up on the reverse tackum or something and we go dag nabbit i just screwed up on that reverse tackum you say now your brain is going to pay attention to that and for me at first i'm like what do you mean my brain's going to pay attention to that i am my brain you know, <laughs> but then right. you say, no, don't, don't, don't tell your brain to pay attention to that. Instead, when you get it right, clap for your brain, like it's a baby, you know, but I've got a baby. Right. And so here in my house, and so I can see that behavior externally. I can see that like when he does bad things, he's too young to like understand language. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but if he does something well and I clap, he loves that and he'll do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, your brain needs direction. And, um, you know, so you have different parts of the mind that 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 are engaged here. And most people, one, they don't know that they have that they have control. I would even say in the last five years, the dominant thing I've been thinking about and working with is mind control. Um, <laughs> that sounds like yeah. you're going to take over the world. <laughs> no, not mind, not controlling your mind, but teaching people how to control their mind. Right. Yeah, I understand. When they mean, are yeah. engaged in some sort of. Yeah. activity because it is the brain needs direction it needs the big part of you see like your brain doesn't care if you play pipes or not and it doesn't care if you get better at pipes or not yeah and, uh, it doesn't care and if that's like stressful and taking a lot of effort your brain's going to go to its default which is basically just taking away stress and keeping you calm which means putting you on in front of the tv it's like you right. know procrastination is really normal it's just the brain going Ooh, you know, you're going to be expending more energy than I think you should. And so let me give you a reason. Uh, let's practice tomorrow kind of thing. Right. Go, I'll do that. So you need to have a part of your mind that has been trained to assist your brain in keeping you in the game. And that I wish I could send you the third book now. It's almost done. I'm tempted when I get the manuscript finished, maybe to send that over to you because I think you'll keep it private, but you'll love it because all of these things we're talking about now, they're touched upon mm. because of the specifics of the content of the other books, but this book is all about that. Yeah. That is so exciting. I whether it's when it's published or or, or not, I'm definitely gonna be in line to get a copy. That it sounds it's very, very exciting. Close now. It is. It's been a difficult book to write because now you're writing about very complex things and having to get them to like when you say to someone, you can't just say to someone. Adults learn faster than kids. You need right. to get boot off the stage. They yep. their mind will give you a hundred. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but can't we're, do that. We're all sitting in the cave, Stephanie. You're trying to come down into Plato's cave and say, hey, the sun is shining out here. And we're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> We're fine. We've got shadows. You're crazy. No, exactly. So, you know, for me, that in order for me to say that line, the setup and getting agreement of their brains of certain things to be true based on the evidence in their own life. Yeah. To be absolutely nailed, no wiggle room in order for me to say that line and for them to go, that makes sense. Yes, I feel like that is the experience over and over again. Reading, I know, it is. it's like it is. once you get to that point, I go, yes, that makes sense. And then I turn and look back and I realize she just held my hand for 25 pages because <laughs> I right. would not have been ready for it. Otherwise. She led exactly me here. Right. <laughs> and I will. Yeah. And I trust that I can write in a style that people will 
pay attention and be entertained and, you know, be kind of thinking as they're reading. And my, like I said, my books are not novels. So they're really, that's why, you know, the writing style is, is so narrative. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, people have heard me speak, oh, geez, I can hear your voice in the writing. I've had people say, I've only read your books. And the minute you opened your mouth, I knew it was you. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I've, I, I've had exactly that experience because I'd read several of your books before listening to any interview with you. Yeah. And so after having read, then I listened to the interviews and it's like, well, I was surprised you didn't have an Australian accent. That's the one thing that was a surprise because I'd, <laughs> I'd been assuming all along. I'm, I'm working on it. 35 years. I'm yeah, still keep, working. Keep it up. You, you'll, you'll get there. <laughs> so I, now I've had you for an hour, Stephanie. Are, are you feeling, am I, am I um, encroaching too much on your time if I ask you a couple more questions about yourself? No, if anything, what you're doing is distracting me from all the stressors of the floods in Ukraine and um, mm life i'm thoroughly enjoying this i would even venture to say i needed this today well so thank that... you I'm, I'm just going to fill up my water oh glass, for sure for sure absolutely which is right behind me so I yeah won't be go more. yeah go right ahead no problem there one okay, thing uh, so i have been curious stephanie what like where so much of your work is about like learning well okay so i don't i suspect this isn't just personal context i suspect this is shared experience for a lot of people but I had some wonderful teachers when I was a kid, but I had a few that I don't think it was a fault of their own, but I had some negative experiences that ruined formal education for me, for sure. Um, speaking of writing with your left hand, I, I was ambidextrous until I was in first grade and yeah. I had a teacher who made me pick a hand and I had to sit on my other hand so I wouldn't yeah. use both of them. And and for years, I had a hard, hard time writing. And I think it's because I picked the wrong hand, you know, like just just things that made it real hard for me to respect the process. You know, sure. everything felt like hoops. And anyway, I just I, it makes me wonder, what kind of student were you? What, what was elementary school like for you? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Way back casting my way, my way, my mind back centuries now. Yeah. Um, and you're right. And by the way, just great lives we live by is all about that. And it's not a teacher bashing book. It's more mm-hmm. of a kind of the internal messages that we pick up as kids mm-hmm. about ourselves and learning yeah. and, our, and our capabilities of learning that we then carry forward into adult life. So that book is to try to reset people's minds about what was true and not true based on the kind mm-hmm. of message as kids so that will help i think maybe you might yeah that was already at the top of my list it's just scooting even higher now i think i need that book (laughs) i mean i think as a kid um i wasn't a great student because i was just too active i was my mind was very you know i'd go to school i just found it quite boring the whole Mm -hmm. thing school and uh some of the best and i had great teachers great teachers great neighborhood like we were just a bunch of feral kids, really. <laughs> I was just in a little egg with a bunch yeah. of feral kids. We were all unique. We lived outside. We were experimental. We yeah. were crazy. I mean, we would probably not have fit into any other environment than the one we were in. Yeah. And the schools, basically, the great teachers I had kind of recognized, at least in me, kind of this idiosyncratic way I wanted to learn. So, and I, And if I wasn't doing what I kind of want to do my mind was so fast that I was quite disruptive in class yeah yeah rather than like squashing that what I would get is they would bring in say an advanced more advanced book on the subject and let me read it in the Mm -hmm. corner 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. I can remember in reading, I mean, I was, I was, an, I mean, I read at quite a young age. I was an avid reader. I wrote a lot. Um, mm. I would even, I would even copy books as if I were writing them to wonder what would it feel like if my brain had written that sentence. Oh, know? but that's so cool, Stephanie. That's so cool. Like that. Yeah. Um, so I couldn't understand a, a technical trigonometry formula, but I would write it and wonder what mm. would that be like if I was the one writing this and understood what the heck I was writing here. So anyway, so the school would like ordered this kind of progressive reading program that I could self-pace my way through. Yeah myself and another kid in the class we'd be just sent to the back of the room yeah to basically do our own thing and then show our work to the teacher and I had that all through school even in high school math was my math and getting into technology was getting very big and there was me and another guy and you know other than the required English course Mm -hmm. um, all of our courses were math courses in Mm -hmm. high school so that's all we did and the school just kind of accommodated these and like I said we were all not kids and we all went off to do really fascinating things with our lives and i think it's because we were just protected Mm. and um, not i only had maybe two bad experiences through school and really it was the teacher who got punished for those not Mm. me because as soon as we went home you know i can remember one of them my father said some listen sometimes some teachers are jerks you know it's like learn get wise about who you take input from and who yeah. you take feedback from. And sometimes the teacher is the jerk and this is not about you. And yeah. that, like I said, that probably only happened twice in my whole, mm. my whole childhood. So I was very blessed to, and my brother's the same thing. They've gone off to do just unbelievable. I mean, they're smarter than me. They're funnier than me. They're incredible. <laughs> and we all, we all came out of that little egg. You know, so I, I do. I do imagine like the the Thanksgiving gatherings would be a lot of fun. Oh, uh, they're hysterical. <laughs> they're anything like you? Yeah. <laughs> I brought a friend of mine back to. Uh, no, I we were separated quite young, and then only came back together in um, maybe after about twenty five years. That's um, your brother. I went to a went to a Thanksgiving <clears throat> dinner maybe five years ago or so. And yeah. It was the first one since like the 1960s where we'd all sit together. Wow. And I brought a friend of mine and I had uh, said to her, you're going to love my brothers. They are funnier than anyone. And she said, no way. You are, you, Stephanie, are the funniest person on the planet. Your brain yeah. works so <laughs> fast. Well, I'll tell you something and you'll hit it from another angle. It's mm-hmm. just floors me so anyway we're in in uh, phoenix with one of my brothers and in the car and my brothers are bantering about something and she looks at me and she said you're right they are so <laughs> funnier than you are <laughs> yeah. uh, well so then what what was the home environment for you because it sounds like your your parents were really encouraging and 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 helpful in like allowing you to pursue anything you were interested in kind of yeah um it, it, uh, yeah where, i think they that's a great question, and that's a deep subject. But I mean, in the main, certainly the early childhood up to about fourteen was good. I mean, we we're again we were a generation that was left to our own devices, and yeah. you know, you were out, and older kids took care of the younger ones, and the older ones that knew took care of you. As far as just making sure you didn't kill yourself, and that was really the rule: come home yeah. for dinner and not be dead, and don't yeah, make, your make it home alive. Yeah, <laughs> make it home alive, and whatever you did in the meantime was kind of up to you. My parents yeah. both. It was a relatively poor family. Uh, they both worked a lot. And um, so they weren't really around. My father was more the one that would intervene with life lessons, 
wisdom, creating space for me. My mother, I don't remember much. She was quite an emotional, emotionally unstable kind of character. So mm. although I don't have any bad experiences with her when I was younger, she was less present because you had to be able to read her emotionally very quickly in order to, and like you couldn't come home from school and go, woohoo, look what I just did, because that you could be excited and that might make her angry, you see. So you oh. So she was just a bit touchy. Sure. And then my teenage years, my mother, uh, my parents had divorced. My mother remarried and moved us to Arizona. Mm. And that separation from my father was quite traumatic, I think, mostly in a way that he wasn't there to mediate her mm. um, in the family situation. So uh, me being the oldest at 14 was kind of trying to take on the role of uh mediating this uh, kind of wild character and I was just not mature enough or whatever so ultimately I left her at I think my just after my 15th birthday quite dramatically you know being given handed a suitcase and 100 bucks and um, ended up flying back to Connecticut uh, without my father's knowledge as a matter of fact he wasn't even there at the time uh, to see if he would take me in and that was a major traumatic period and he was willing but unable and you know it was just an absolute mess for a period but anyway that created the separation between me and the boys for quite some time uh but i did live with him through in high school with his uh second wife which was thank god it was in a little caravan 34 feet wide for four years so there was lots of philosophy lots of talking yeah lots of learning lots of connection and you know he basically his job was basically to keep me safe Mm. uh for those four years and and get me you know kind of on my way at 18 and then you know the older brother and then my father died so that brought us together again briefly Mm. to at least be able to go the things you've heard from our mother are not quite true Mm. and so we kind of created this little secret you know connection uh unbeknownst to her and uh, and over the years, then finally we were able to kind of break out and start hanging out together. And uh, and she's only recently passed away as well. I mean, she lived a long time. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was like a twenty five year absence since the three of us were together. Yeah. Uh, and and once we were together, we haven't been separated since. So, yeah. uh, but again, that all had to be done quite delicately and secretively and. You know, so you have all of us have lives that have, you know, major interruptions in them. And I didn't plan on that when I was a, I was a simple kid. I was a nerd. I played in the band, played sports, read everything I could get my hands on. Uh, I was a good kid. I, you know, I had the friends in my neighborhood. Yeah. I'd never learned how to make a friend. So I was well, I had all that going on. I became quite socially incompetent. <laughs> yeah, because it was already like, built in for you. You didn't need those skills, right? There already... I didn't need any of those skills yeah. as a kid. And then when I did need them, I didn't possess them at all. Yeah. Like not, not even a little bit. Uh, so, you know, but we all, and these things oftentimes when you're younger, 20s, 30s, you know, you're just so busy kind mm. of focusing on what you're focusing on. And you're not really yet, you don't really yet understand why you've made the decisions you've made, right? Yeah. It's like, you don't know the underlying traumas that are are kind of floating your boat. Yeah, distance and, is needed for clarity sometimes. Exactly. And so, you know, for me, I would have been in my 40s before I started really waking up to the trauma of mm. uh, those early those early periods. And 
starting to really understand why, you know, why I didn't know how to make friends, why I, like, I'm great on stage and I'm great socially and I'm really gregarious, but don't ask me to go to a dinner party. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those intimate settings. Yeah. yeah. And yet I would try and I would fail and then I couldn't figure out what, you know, what I was failing at. So I would mm-hmm. just work all the time. Uh, now that's all much, that's all better now. I mean, I've been through 15 years of really, slowly peeling away the layers of, of dysfunction yeah. in a highly functional life. You know, I've had a, I've had a, an absolutely brilliant life. I mean, who can complain? I mean, look at the things I've been able to do and the people I've met and the contributions people make back to me is extraordinary. Yeah. Absolutely well, extraordinary. Well, like I say, you know, just the, the, the idea of talking to you directly has had me feeling, you know, quite, quite, a, a even overwhelmed just because, I mean, you, you, uh, you are such a polished professional, you know, not that that's always a marker of health, you know, but, uh, just, no, it's not, it it, certainly it, but it, you know, and like, it, I'm certainly not equipped to do some sort of psychoanalysis and figure out how all these things play together, but it does mm-hmm. feel like, Man, isn't it fascinating, even serendipitous, just the way, how much of this is nature, how much of it is nurture, life experiences, your personality from the beginning or not, that is all coming together and making who you are and and what you produce. Yep, and that's true for all of us. And again, you tend not to wake up to these things. It's like, for example, you know, working with men who have been abused as children through be the scouts or the churches or whatever. I mean, yeah. the time it takes for a man to tell a story like that is almost 30 years. Yeah. Now, yeah. It's so they've lived or, or and for women, it's 24 years. Yeah. So because you're so you're so just your, your brain's just into survival and it's just trying to keep you moving forward. And so it's it's a best idea is to bury that. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. But it still has an underlying impact on what you move toward and, and certainly what you then move away from. Yeah. Uh, and the experiences you, you just don't sign up for. And you, and you don't know why you're not signing up for them. You just you, you can almost start making stuff up like, well, that's just not me or it's not something I really enjoy. Right. Yeah. You know, and then you start waking up going, holy smokes. Or even I'm me. bad at that or something like that. Exactly. There are some really underlying features in, in those events that we had as young people um, that have long dramatic effects now it's changing a bit now because at least certainly here in australia and i would say also in america in some pockets where younger abuse survivors are talking earlier Mm, yeah coming out with this earlier yeah um you're not meeting like a you know we've got a politician here who's who's a gay guy who you know, he'd be my age, probably in his mid sixties, but he didn't come out to his anyone, including his family, until he was like well into his fifties. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you figure we all think well, we can live with a secret, but okay, living with that secret has now surrounded you with bubble wrap of any kind of question or environment or anything mm-hmm. where you get exposed. Yeah. So, you, you know, these people have cut, I just heard, and the only reason I'm bringing him up in that situation is because of, yeah, I just heard him speak the other night. And it's yeah. like, you know, that's 30 years of saying no to things that are, again, it's not the secret. It's the, all the other layers where you, right. know, like they might be exposed. And yeah. like abuse survivors, like the men who, and women who were abused as kids, it's like, you think about the kind of relationships they have, the truth they won't tell. Mm-hmm. The way 
organize their families, being closed off to certain lines of inquiry. Mm. And then they start waking up to this. And uh, it's brilliant to see them waking up and, and kind of gaining some sort of power now. But I do find, I mean, here in Australia, we've got a couple of young 20-year-old women who just broke the whole mold last year mm. in, in coming out and uh, with abuse situations. And they have really turned the country on its head with that. And uh, so this next generation coming up now, oh, I've got great hopes for them. Yeah. They're awake. Um, they're smart. They're advocates. They are frustrated and angry appropriately. Yeah. You know, not that kind of advocacy in a way where we had advocates in the 60s, let's say around civil rights, but nobody yeah. had any power, right? There was just no bloody power. Mm-hmm. But these are in the main white kids. Mm-hmm. Not all of them white kids, but in the main, people who need to be, who will have power and who will be heard. Right, the people and, who are in these privileged positions to exactly. actually make a difference. Exactly, and unfortunately, it's that. Unfortunately, it has to be that, but it is that, and yeah. it is taking hold. And um, you know, I watch the young people in Ukraine. I watch the um, uh, the 2013-14, the documentary uh, Winter on Fire. I mean, if you want to see the movement of change in a culture, I think it's one of the best things I've seen and one of the best cultures in the world doing what they're doing at the moment. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I do have great hope for, you know, a time in the future. I think it's, but things have changed since the 60s even. I mean, it's like time yeah. does things and these things are slow moving uh, boats. I mean, when I was a kid in my 20s, 30s, in no way I I have never told personal stories about my family or my experiences when I was young. Not ever. It's like that was off limits. That's why I'm on stage. Yeah. I'm on stage. Yeah. I'm in control. Totally yeah. in control. And yeah. I just set up people to never ask people would say, I just was trained by you to never ask certain questions. I know nothing about you. Yeah. That's true. But now that's not true today. But my God, up until I hit 50, that was true. I've 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 wondered about things like this before. Like, how much do we see a, the same pattern in an individual as they grow up, as we see on a larger and slower scale for a society or a group? You know, mm-hmm. like can a can a church be a teenager? You know, right. and a right. hundred years later, be in its twenties in some behavioral ways. You know, yeah, that's a very. I've never really thought about that, but I think that you're onto something in. Um... Yeah, I listen. You planted a seed. I will definitely. Mm. My antenna will be up looking for. Well, I, I talk about that. Maybe, and so I don't mean to like drive you into into going deeper, but I wonder: do do you feel like? Well, were there other motivations for you to go into the military, or do you feel like part of it could have been practicality, seeking security of some kind? Yeah, um, sure. Yeah. Do, I mean, I mean, my dad like was. My dad was great. I mean, living yeah. with him was calm. And, you know, I mean, the rule was, you know, you can, I don't care what you do, you can always come home, you'll never be hit. I mean, that was like, that was the yeah. rule. And he, and he lived by that. But mm-hmm. it also was his rule that at 18, you need to go start living your life. Mm-hmm. You need to be out. And, and was to- was the military like a, a practical way to do that? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he, he, you know, I, it took about four months and I had jobs, but like in order to survive, I thought the only way that I didn't have any access to university that would have been known to me back then, given right. from such, such a poor environment. Right, yeah. 
you know, there was just not even a thought that university could be possible. And yet all I wanted to do was live in a, in the snacks in a library in a great school. And I was like, yeah, that's all I wanted to do. Put me in a box and let me read for the rest of my life. Uh, but there just was no pathway for me. So, you know, I thought, well, the only thing I'm going to be able to do here is work at the big pen factory or the Remington arms factory and live with five other teenagers in a house. Mm -hmm. Report and I thought that's just not me, that's not happening. And then I just happened to walk into a shop that this is the so you have to get the timing. This is 73, so the Vietnam War just ended, mm -hmm. also the draft ended. So now yeah. there was not like a, a nationalized way of getting everybody and in, anybody into the military. So and now the military maybe is kind of unpopular for a lot of people as well at the it time. It might right? have been. It, well, for sure, for wealthy people, it was always unpopular. And sure. uh, if, and during the Vietnam War, people didn't want to go because they figured they were going to die. Yeah. Uh, but it is also, but see, it became an all-volunteer army. Now, yeah. in doing that, they were able to pitch that what they were was an opportunity for poor kids mm -hmm. to come in and get a start in life. And that, and so then you were you just like, hey, that's me. I'm a poor yeah, kid. Yeah, I saw a poster that said, Uncle Sam wants you. I already knew I wanted to do engineering yeah. uh, and get into computers, which were just at that point starting to lift off. Yeah. And uh, I saw a poster, Uncle Sam wants you to be a this, 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 and this engineer. I thought, that's it. <laughs> you got me, Sam. <laughs> so I went home, talked to my dad. He thought it was a great idea. And then I took the tests. And then they came back and they said, uh, listen, you've done great on all your exams, but unfortunately the engineering fields are not open to women. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so, I I said, <laughs> so they said, well, there were like 128, 130 fields not open for women at that time. Yeah. And so they came back and they said, well, why don't you come in and we'll give you a different skill. For you. And my first thought was, they're going to make me a bloody cook or something right right they, yeah or, you'll be peeling yeah. potatoes or folding no. laundry or yeah, something no no, no. no I, so i said no uh but if the laws ever congress ever changes the laws military ever changes the laws on this call me because i'll be in and if sure it's ever decided that women can do math <laughs> yeah well and don't forget you know it was women black women who put you know the bloody apollo uh, right exactly <laughs> No, it's just women didn't get, and it wasn't really a bad thing. Don't forget, it was the American, the Women's Army Corps was separate from the Army at that time. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of the Women's Army Corps heads of that who really didn't want integration either. Mm -hmm. Because women in their model, based on being raised in the 1930s and 40s, were still about decorum and being dressed properly and serving your male, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and that was the idea. But around... I was certainly an early adopter. There weren't a lot of women going in the military in these technical fields, but there yeah. were some. So I just said, no, I, I said, if, they, if it ever changes call, went home, told my dad, listen, you might just have to support me for a while longer until I figure this out. But they called and they said, listen, Congress has, or the Pentagon has opened all these fields. I think all but three combat yeah. fields for women. Yeah. If you want in. So I would have been, if not the first one of the first who entered the, Signal Corps engineer, you know, electronic engineering school. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was great. I mean, I got along with the guys that was, you know, they, they were like the boys in my neighborhood and went to school and I graduated number one. And, and what was interesting there was in the army, if you graduate number one, you don't get to go do the job. Like you wouldn't let me go be an engineer. 
Is the, that uh, how you got into instructing then? Is it because yeah, my, oh, yeah, I my see. Order, yeah, my orders came down saying you were going to be a whatever it was, 34D something, something, a military instructor. Oh. And I thought, oh my God. Now i this is not true, but it, it could have been true. If they'd done a psychological profile on me at that yeah. point, it would have said Stephanie Burns uh, should work in a in a in a closet with machines. Do not allow around other human beings. <laughs> right. No human interaction. <laughs> no human interaction. Right. Uh, so that's where that story in the book comes from. Right? Yeah, that, like, that's so interesting because I've been wondering all along, Stephanie, as you talk about your childhood, it doesn't sound like you were interested in being a teacher when you were in school. No, and then you go no. into the military, you were not going into it to become an instructor. No. You know, this was this was put in front of you as the only choice, huh? Like That's right. That's and, exactly. And an exactly. ill-fitting choice at the time as well. Well, would you be willing, could I get you to read that part? Oh yeah, you want me to read that? Okay. If you're willing, if you're willing. I'm, willing, I'm willing. Now remember, I'm 18 years old. I look 12 um, at that point, and um, and were there any other women in your experience up to that point in the engineering program? Nobody, nobody, and there were no students in my class. And I think there was one that came after me, and a okay. couple more a bit later. But I've no, got to imagine. Were, there are other there were other women like in the platoon doing other courses, but not yeah. my program. Well, and I and not not that like physical prowess should necessarily matter, but in a in a martial situation in the military, you know, like who can deny that like how tall you are, how broad your shoulders are going to have sure. some bearing as well. So not only are you the only woman in the program, very young, maybe look even younger. You, you're not you're not a roller derby champ either you know like you're no <laughs> no i mean i've got to guess what do you remember how tall and how much you weighed at the time like you must have been oh, diminutive compared foot, to a lot of these guys seven and i probably weighed 110 pounds 120 pounds <laughs> so it's like who's this kid right yeah, who's, who's this kid who's this yeah. kid real kid yeah and most of my students in my very first class uh, as the story goes, they every student of mine was. I had all men in my first class. Of course, they were all bigger than I was physically. They every one of them outranked me. Yeah, um, and you know they were just much stronger. But I was the teacher again, so there was yeah. this kind of balance of power in respect for military instructors is very strong. And yeah. I always said that you know when when I teach leadership courses, one of the things that came out of that. Yeah, I always say, you know, when a student would raise their hand, who outranked me and was bigger than me, and they were these were men, men, right? Men, men, yeah, like yeah, yeah, like men. men amongst men, yeah, yeah. They don't wear ties, right? They they have, you know, they have weapons, and yeah. um, I <laughs> yeah. said, you know, I used to just have to stand, go to a parade rest, and say, "Excuse me, sir, what did I do to cause your confusion?" Wow. Do you think about that for a minute? Yeah. What did I do to cause your confusion? Right. Wow. And then you know what happens is they tell you, I was with you till you were here. And then that example threw me off the cliff. Or I think mm-hmm. yesterday I missed what they give me feedback. And then with that feedback, I'm able to do something with it. Now, what that taught me as an 18 year old is that the students are fine and they're not confused until I start talking. Hmm. So when they're confused, it points errors in my teaching. Mm. 
It's like a leader who might have a team of 10 people and then five of them go off with the pixies and do something else. Mm-hmm. Leaders go, oh, well, that's because you're stupid or because you're this or, you know, we're accustomed to blaming other people. Right. My right. training was like, look at me. What did I do that caused that? And what could I ca- do to cause it to be different? Wow. Now right. that had that one lesson alone, I could build, I have near built my whole career on. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I'm constantly looking at me. If I'm working with a piper on a problem and they don't get it, I'm going, what did I do that cost that? Or what could I do to cause that be different? And if I don't know, I'm going to go to someone like Jack Lee or I'm going to go to Zephan and I'm going to get more information because it's not about them. Yeah. It's about what I'm doing and my lack of maybe having the skill, the teaching skill to support them or the arrow in my quiver to work with them. So that all started by me being in this weird situation as an 18 year old kid standing up and all these guys had come back from Vietnam mostly they were mostly older you know 30 year old guys who'd been to Vietnam and now they were getting retrained for other skills so they and they were so good I mean these guys they took care of me oh my godfather they were just and I'll get and I'll read the story and people will see that yeah I mean I remember having a little twerpy kid in the class raising his hand every 10 minutes to ask me a question, technical question about something that had nothing to do with what we were doing, but just mm, kind of testing you. Yeah. Just kind of testing me. That's, you know, that's just not allowed kind of thing. So anyway, I would answer his question. I tried every trick I had as a teacher to get him to calm down mm. and he never did. And I finally, uh, he'd stand, I'd say, he'd raise his hand and say, yes. And he'd ask his question. And I'd say, excuse me, Sergeant Brown, um, would you answer this young man's question? And Sergeant Brown's like six foot seven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> down, stands up, looks at me, looks at the kids, really embarrassed, going, I'm sorry, special experience. I don't know the answer to that question. I said, well, that's fine, Sergeant Brown. You can have a seat. Sit down. I'll get your question later. A Dick raises his hand. Sergeant Brown, could you stand up, please, and answer this gentleman's question? <laughs> I, I, I hear this absolute commotion out in the hall. Yeah. And I go out in the hall. Sergeant Brown's got him by his shirt collar, about <laughs> two feet off the ground. Yeah, hold him up off the ground. up against the hall, going, if you ask one more question. <laughs> and that was the end of that. Now, I don't suggest, you know, terrifying students anymore. But sure, sure. Uh, I have, but I have that's, a little bit that's you using the that. system that you were in, right? So well, yeah. it, well, and it was also, you're using, as a teacher, every trick you know. The only ones right. I knew ones I'd seen done with me in school right yeah yeah and then when I ran out of those then I went to how did we deal with this stuff in the neighborhood and mm-hmm. the neighborhood was you call on the biggest guy yeah to protect you yeah that was my go-to thing mm-hmm. um, today I've got maybe a thousand other strategies I might use I'm not used to throwing students up against the wall anymore <laughs> got some, perhaps somewhat more precise tools to use today. yeah it's true <laughs> but I but I have been a bit rough with a few of them who need to be rough I mean yeah. don't get me wrong I mean if I need to be if you need to pattern interrupt something or break someone who's got you know just mm-hmm. is so stuck in her head right go want to go and then apologize profusely for it later all right let me read this thing so what happened on that first training day this is the first day i'm going to go off and i'm teaching uh, a class in the military i said i climbed the three flights of stairs and walked along the green hallway to my classroom i entered the room tables and chairs all in tidy rows and instructors podium at the front computer terminals lining the walls i knew nothing of nothing important I should be doing. So I waited. 
I checked that my instructor's manual was in order and I double checked that the reviewer's manual at the reviewer's chair was open at the proper section. It was the first hour of the first day of a four month course. I opened the windows to the sound of a drill session taking place outside and tried to remember my own experiences as a student in this very room, which had ended only three weeks before. I was shaking quite uncontrollably as the chatter of my students grew louder in the hallway as, as they waited for the morning bell to ring. I prayed it never would ring, and it did. As students entered, taking seats randomly, I fiddled with my notes and looked at myself, I looked at myself in my shoes, because of course they were very shiny. Mm -hmm. uh, it was quiet and attentive long before I ever noticed. My head was pounding, I could hear my heart beat in my ears. My lip danced to some odd tune and my knees moved spontaneously in directions knees were never designed to, making my skirt do funny things. As I looked up and attempted to speak, I began to stutter, not for the first time in my life, but certainly at the most critically important. The harder I tried to control it, the worse it became. The only rational thought that came to mind, as silly as it seems now, was to write my name on the chalkboard. Without yet having spoken a single comprehensible word, I turned and walked to the board. I picked up a piece of chalk and with every ounce of effort I could muster, I attempted to glide the chalk onto the flat surface. The next thing I remember is choking down chalk dust and hearing a rapid fire clicking as the chalk slammed repeatedly into the board, shattering into a thousand, thousands of little pieces. My name had been forever changed into something resembling shots from a machine gun still firmly ingrained on the blackboard in Fort Mountain, New Jersey. When I recovered some sense, uh, some minutes later, turning to face my class, I discovered that my students, out of a mixture of confusion and understanding, had all respectfully left the room. I say this with all sincerity. Given I have gone on to become a well-respected, highly paid and sought-after trainer since that first experience, forever cemented in my mind is the belief that those with perseverance and a willingness to make all their experiences useful will without doubt succeed. Thanks for being willing to read it. I that Part of the reason I wanted you to read it, Stephanie, was that like beyond anything else, when I read that, I, like, I felt like, I don't know if I was feeling for you in that moment or feeling grateful to the people who respectfully and you know, lovingly were willing to leave the room or what, it was, what all it was, but this humanized you and your experience in such a big way and it's like, does does opening up and sharing pain or or trauma or, or even embarrassment, um, like, is that the most efficient way to get someone's trust? Because it sure seems to, like, if I hadn't yeah. read anything else, having read that, I would have been like, what does this lady have to say? I'm open right. to it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think if you listen to any all the speakers or, you know, the people who influence you, the writers, the speakers, the teachers, etc., who you admire, I mean, one of the things that they do consistently is to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. and, and that can be the truth of the struggle it took to do something. <clears throat> and it can also be the truth of things they didn't struggle with. And what that, like, for example, if you were a student, or even if I were a teacher who did really well, in the beginning, mm -hmm. I would never have struggled then to learn things that may be a great teacher later. Right, so right. I, so being I good always, at a thing doesn't make you a good teacher necessarily. I mean, I, I often tell students when I'm doing leadership programs, it's like if you read 10 books about great leaders, those books are all about failure. 
Mm-hmm. That's and such a good point. Houses, they're all about failure. Yeah. It's their stories of what they tried, decisions they made, mistakes they made. <clears throat> and then on the back end of that are the strategies or ideas that they used to overcome that. I yeah. mean, if you read something from somebody who's going, I was great at this and good at this and I succeeded at this, you know, it's, you can't relate because it's not life. I mean, nobody, nobody does that. Yeah. Anyone who's done well, I'm telling you, has beaten the path hard. Yeah. And fallen on their face, you know, as many times as uh, they've succeeded, for sure. Yeah. I think people relate to it. It's like when I do that, people love the stories. I mean, that's another big request I get is to write my stories, which I just cannot seem to make myself do. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'm just not old enough. Maybe, you know, in my 70s, I'll be clear-headed enough to do that maybe that's the next year project huh yeah but they do they love the stories and it's not because i told it it's what it makes their mind think in relationship to their own life yeah yeah that is a very common theme we've all been there right i i feel like this is part of why it's like there are several elements that need to come together here one of them is you have to have good information and you've got good information another one is that it needs to be presented in an dare I say entertaining, at least enjoyable way, you know, yeah. but you another one, yeah, absolutely. And I think that a third part to this soup that makes it work well is that you've got to be genuine. And it's like, I never get the impression, Stephanie, that you are pretending to be some sort of enlightened guru who's enlightened <laughs> by anything more pristine and miraculous that at yeah. least then just like real messy, relatable human failure. Yeah. And you're and willing it, to and, say yeah. to me, Hey, Look, my name's Stephanie, and I have failed, you know, like, and I, <laughs> I've, I've been really bad at public speaking. But see, I read that experience knowing that you have spent, I couldn't, have you calculated how many hours you spent in front of how many thousands of people, you know, training them on computers or training them on how to train, you know, and we're talking uh, about military, uh, broadcast stations, other government entities, massive companies, you know, but you're willing to not put, not, you're not going to let me put you on a pedestal, right? Because I see no. all that. You're going to say, yeah, but guess what? Before that, I couldn't even write my name on a blackboard, you know, on this. this Yeah, but see, I would say that only if in like working with you, mentoring you, you were having trouble writing your name on a blackboard. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like that story is not real. I rarely, if ever, tell that story because it's not relevant to the people I'm working with. Now, Mm -hmm. when we go to the fourth book in the music framework, which is performance, Mm -hmm. that story becomes important. Yeah. Because yeah, now we're talking about that represents how people feel when they pick up their pipes and have to play in front of someone. That's yes. exactly the point. Totally. And they're going to, it's, it's awful. It is a terrible, terrible experience. Um, but I, they, the military, not them, but my environment of all men and me being me and me mm-hmm. being heavily protected by my students made me caused me to be a good teacher and I went on to build that skill over many many years but without working on it I mean one thing I should say because I don't want to leave it out is as a kid for as socially as incompetent as I was I was always good in front of other people if I was in control so Mm -hmm. you know I didn't I was quite gregarious and for being like a severe introvert which, I mean, I'm off the scale on the introverts because they don't even go that low for me on the introverts <laughs> that high. Uh, but when I'm in a position where I'm telling a story or teaching or being on stage, that's not 
I feel it, but that's my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel more me on stage than I probably do or did until I was 50 any, in any other context. Sure. So although it took me some time to kind of get over that initial bump of mm-hmm. uh, the responsibility of teaching, once I did, I became known as a great military instructor. And, you know, still to this day, if I go to a conference, it's got 10 of the best people in the world, people will say, number one, Burns. Yeah. Um, I, I go in to knock it out of the park and, you know, and sometimes I crash and burn, but you know, I'm in yeah. there to basically knock it out of the park and, and do in the books are good representations of the character I am when I'm teaching for sure. Yeah. yeah. No, it makes sense. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like maybe, maybe it's not fair for me to do this, but maybe to, to, to distill maybe like what a reader could be, could expect to get out of what you're offering, whether that reader wants to ride horses or swim or play bagpipes <laughs> or anything yeah. would be, that you you say that it matters to you, Stephanie, that people have what they need to get wherever it is that they think they want to get to. Yep. And it, it feels like that's that's what you're doing for other people. And that um, is absolutely it. I mean, it's absolutely it. It's the driver every day. I mean, my day every day is different because I don't know what's coming in in an email. You know, yeah, it could be yeah. a, a guy in Germany who's struggling with you know, learning a new score, I'm in that boots and all, you know, some of these might take three or four days for me to think about, like, I've got a gal uh, in New Mexico, who's a ex-military who was really struggling with her piping. I mean, just, just, she was shaky hand. She couldn't understand what was happening in her hand. And I, I worked with her. I probably did two sessions with her over the phone. I did a lot of writing with her. And then when I realized, okay, I'm out of my skill base here. I turned her over to Zephan and Nick picked her up and has been working with her now. And we're get she's getting movement. I could get somebody who's got focal dystonia writing to me. I've got someone who feels they're too old. You know, it doesn't matter. It's like that is what comes in. I don't solicit any of that. It's Mm -hmm. like it's trust me when I say you can write to me if you have something. And if, if I can help, I will absolutely be in it boots and all that's mm-hmm. it but that's the motivation that's see i never wake up in the morning and go i know what i can do i can go help the world do this like mm-hmm. that is just not a motivation for me i want to wake up every day and do what i want to do which is which might be often more often than not read a book right <laughs> it could be study it could be nutting out a problem it yeah. could be reaching out to people overseas who are smarter than i am in a subject my yeah. drum practice gets done every single day yeah. uh you know it could be a lot of things is in being in the gym every day. So I want to do what I want to do. That was my goal in life. I want to yeah. do what I want to do when I want to do who I want to do it, where I want to do it, period. Yeah. That's the, that was my model of success. And I've achieved that. But when I get a call from someone saying, can you do a learning strategy session for the Aboriginal kids who are going into a STEM school? Mm-hmm. I, why not? I mean, it's like, I wouldn't, I never say no. And you've, you've kind of made a practice of diving in to situations that, that could present new challenges, huh? So there, there I imagine they're feeling, yeah. At some level, there, there's, no, there's no prescription. There's no, um, I know the three things I'm going to say. I'm right, all yeah. in it by feel. And I trust, like when I know where the, the kind of the dimensions of where the problem are, I just give that to my brain. I go, mm-hmm. brain, 
primed, like bring up to the surface anything I might need to grab onto. Yeah. Uh, like I coach a gal at a bank here who's moving into quite a senior level. And as she's moving, like she's been, she's extraordinary at the level she is. But in order for her to move to that next level, there are just some things she's never had to learn to do. Mm-hmm. But I go in there and go, okay, these are the three things that are going to make that possible. I don't know. Yeah. So, but I'm primed for pretty much anything I might get thrown that are needed in order to bump her along in that yeah. direction. You've, you've kind of sussed out these principles that would be applicable, right? That yeah, be able to exactly. apply them to an individual situation. Exactly. And there's, you know, and it's even like money. You know, I would say 80% of all the work I do is pro bono. I would never think to ask somebody to pay for something like that because mm. I don't know for sure it's going to work for yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I might think so. And I invest tons of time i mean you know tens of hours for individuals but then everybody knows i do this so when there are groups that know me and they have money then they pay and right yeah and they pay a lot and so when they pay a lot it enables me to stay home do what i want to do with when i want to do it go where mm-hmm. i want to go and be freely available for people who don't have two nickels to run rub together yeah right? yeah which is a lot of people yeah. um there's no way I'm not going to do something uh, when request that. Hence, I'm here with you. Right. Yeah. That's I'm one of them. Right. <laughs> and You're that's one. I, I, I hope. I, I hope that folks will forgive me if I started turning this into kind of a personal coaching session. Because honestly, Stephanie, a lot of the things that I ended up asking you about are things that are very prevalent in my life right now. <laughs> well, listen, that's fine. And I, you know, I was very open to. I knew you wanted to kind of explore the past, but I also trusted. Absolutely, that you would read certain things that you would see that you would prime yourself for mm. this might go. So you could be spontaneous with me mm-hmm. and trust I'd be spontaneous with you. Um, we certainly haven't tried to nut this together into lessons, but I can already tell you there's six, seven, eight very things that have been said that hopefully will stimulate people to be thinking within their own life and within their own. Well, we haven't bloody talked about piping or drumming, which I know that's <laughs> see, pipers and drummers are human beings, right? Yeah. That's, that's I mean, my, that's my hope. Beings. It's like, we're still talking about human things here. Right. So it's okay. <laughs> yeah. But see that, but they're human beings and it just so happens their challenge is piping and drumming. Right. It yeah. doesn't matter what the challenge is. They're just, I don't need to be specific about that. Yeah. Well, and in this case, and this, you know, maybe this is where the plug is for the book. So like, I would imagine a lot of listeners probably have read at least one of the music books so far. And so, you know, I'll have links in the show description to places okay. where these can be found. Do you have a preferred way to have these books purchased? Just nope. anywhere. I mean, I mean, if they're depending on where they're located, mm-hmm. um, you know, like Tartantown has it up in um, uh, Vancouver, you know, I- I'm happy if people are if people within their community, pipe band community, carry the books. Yeah, support your... It yeah. supports them. Yeah. Uh, I use Amazon as the distributor simply because, you know, people in 40 countries are buying the book. Right, it's everywhere. And so it's the only thing I can do that, that gives people access. I can't do that from Australia. They can't, they can't order the book from me. Like if someone local called and said, a local band called and said, can we get 10 copies? Yeah, mm-hmm. I can but I can't get them here and then ship them over to France. I mean, that's, right. that's the old days. That's like the old days. Yeah. <laughs> so well, yeah, well, any plug you get for the books, 
helps a lot because it helps them. And also if you put it in the hands of someone in a, a different pipe band community, it helps them then spread it through that community. And that's the goal is to get it in the hands of anyone who might need it. And that includes move closer, stay longer and the other books as well. So, yeah, I loved, I, I, I think artistry and training might be one of my favorites really. Um, really? That's really good. You said that because that was out of print for a long time. Yeah. Um, I didn't have a way to get it out there once it had, because that had been done by a publisher and the publisher had the rights to do all that. And and then dormant for maybe five or six years. And then I got a letter, an email from a friend saying, I just tried to find a copy of artistry and training, like a used copy. I found one on eBay for 457 <laughs> <Yeah>. euros. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and well, it helped me out here. Yeah. So I sent this gal a PDF of it. Yeah. and said just take this anyway that inspired me to get uh, my uh designers to basically knock the thing together and put it up in instant instant print so that it can be purchased now um and has been probably for the last you know maybe decade or so yeah i i just you know some things you do like all the learning to learn guitar stuff yeah. we're talking a hundred hours of teaching that was all recorded mm-hmm and I kept that going as long as we had on videos, then it went to DVDs, then I loaded up the DVDs online, and I cut them into like little three-minute segments, and I wrote all the top and tail with all of the new things I'd learned over the years. Yeah. You know, it was brilliant, and eventually, you know, the technology changed. I couldn't maintain them on the platform, and that work is just gone. Yeah. Gone, gone. I have a transcript of the written stuff. And that's it. And a photo of me and Roy Clark. I mean, that's like, you know, that is all that's <laughs> Those left. are the relics that are left. Oh, that's man. The, of, you know, really 20 years. Of, yeah. Of so, you know, I try. I have a copy of some weird stuff. Roy Clark and I did a, a one-hour learning to learn guitar program, which I was so resistant on because you can't teach anybody anything in an hour. Yeah. But I was convinced to do this thing. Uh, with Roy and I do have a copy it was a lot of fun I flew from Sydney to Oklahoma City yeah uh, meet with Ray Clark in the studio we did it in a day and had a ball but is it quality education no (laughs) no (laughs) a lot of fun to do but yeah (laughs) and I get asked to put a lot of things like people will produce things um that are weak educationally Mm -hmm. and they'll ask if I can insert kind of uh front end piece to teach people how to take best advantage of what is there sure yeah and a story i don't hadn't really told much because it never was relevant but i'll tell you here because this will spread it around america but i did get a call from a guy i had a marketing guy i'd worked with for years in australia he was in the states and he said listen we're doing this uh Trump, Donald Trump's going to, they're going to be doing an online university or a university trump university oh yes yeah (laughs) yes and the materials, which were in, I think they were five DVDs yeah. of content experts on wealth creation. And uh, Donald Trump was doing this thing uh, on the front end. And he and the guy who's known had known me for 25 years, he said, listen, there is no way anyone's going to learn anything from this. <laughs> uh, can you have a look at it and see if there's some way you can either put a wrapper around it or some, insert something to prepare people so that what is of value here can be gotten out of this thing. Yeah, 
like and basically, I have can you make it good, Stephanie? <laughs> can, can I? Well, I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't change. And I've done this for lots of companies, and it's yeah. not to. I never judge what it is they're doing, but yeah. if I can somehow assist the buyer or the user or the student, I did it for Cisco Systems as well. You know, it's like, can I insert something that assists the user of it mm. per, on a one basis in their own life, take better advantage of what they have? Yeah. So anyway, I happened to be in Agosa Springs, Colorado for the summer on the horse thing, and they were in Phoenix, and I said, you know, I'll take a look at we did. So we did... What did I do? I did a DVD, which is in the box. I can't believe I'm in a Trump box. I'm right yeah. next to Trump. I can't believe it. One degree of separation. Uh, I read a workbook and a study guide. Yeah. We did a six-part um, podcast in teaching people how to learn from that kind of media. Um, and, and I wasn't paid for any of that. So that was just like, let's try to make wow, this. Wow, really? Well, because when something is kind of bad, really bad, you don't yeah. really want your reputation hooked to it for having been paid to be involved in it. <laughs> right. I don't, I, was, I don't think I was thinking that thought, but certainly 15 years later, I'm thinking that thought. Yeah. Is it kind uh, of like, oh, And then it went on. Then they did the online, you know, the Trump University online. And I got asked by Trump wasn't, Trump doesn't run any of that, but the guys who were running it, if yeah. I would do an analysis of that. And, um, I took one look at it. And it's, again, it's kind of like any of these hypey promotional grifting things, right? Yeah. Where I thought, I'm not going to be able to do this well. I had a gal who worked for me who was brilliant at that stuff. So I said, I'll put her on it. She enrolled as a student, went through the Trump University stuff, and then wrote an analysis. Mm. And she finished that report because I was doing stacks of stuff online, testing how to be an effective educator online mm. in case in some cases better than you could be live even. Yeah. and we were very successful with that so we had all of the structure and theory so anyway she writes the report we send it off through my guys over to trump and of course we never hear a word back because mm. it was scathing it was absolutely scathing as being yeah. a, just an absolute grift but when the whole trump university thing came up like in 2015-16 i thought dear lordy don't have them call me. <laughs> like, I really don't, I really do protect my privacy here, right? Yeah. It's like, no, I don't want to do it. If this report pops up, I mean, it was all dot for dot for dot for dot for dot of what they were doing to scam people. Yeah. And, and you didn't want to see at the bottom of that page uh, I just didn't with Dr. Stephanie Burns. <laughs> that's right. And that's what it said. And it's like, I just, like I said, it was so, it was so clear. And fortunately the case went through and, mm -hmm. you know, the reconciliation was done. I mean, there certainly was a period I went to, should I expose this because sure, I'm, yeah. I'm sitting on it, but, you know, trying I to get ahead of it, my, maybe gathered my people together and, you know, they said, listen, this is probably not wise to do that unless, but you may be asked and then, then we'll prepare you for that. But so, you know, you never know where a career is going to go. Yeah. And well, you and never know where you're going to end up. I've been Googling you a lot the last few weeks and nothing has come up about Trump University. So you're safe. <laughs> no, I'm safe. Yeah. I mean, don't put it out there now. But, um, <laughs> uh, the nice thing is that, um, no, I, I really have played kind of where's Waldo for sure. Yeah. Um, if you want me, I'm not hard to find. Yeah. Right? I'm just, I'm not, it's easy. But um, I chose because I was so in the public eye in my twenties and thirties, I mean, massively in the public eye. Mm -hmm. 
learned was I didn't, one, have the temperament. Two, I realized there's nothing I can say in a three-minute interview that makes any sense to anybody. Yeah. Four, when, or three, when you have people following you, when you've got 100,000 students following you, you don't get any work done. Mm. And four, they keep wanting you to do the same work over and over again. I don't want yeah. to write a book and then have people say, can you come in and give a lecture? on No, that's why I wrote the book. Go read the book. And then ask me interesting questions based on what you did with the book. Mm-hmm. That interests me. Yeah. If you go into the public eye and become a personality, um, you have no hope of growth in your own work. Your reputation takes a pounding. Sure, you might be popular and you might sell a million books. Oh, gives a, I don't give any you know, credence. I don't want that. That's not interest. I might sell a million books, but that, not by that method. Yeah. Well, I mean, you would have to, you would, you would have had to become the horse lady or the bagpipe lady or the ballroom lady. And yes. so then these other things yes. wouldn't, wouldn't have been Spot able on. to happen. It's spun on. Absolutely. Yeah. That's absolutely a true statement. And because in my twenties, I became very successful very quickly mm. in the emerging Apple, Microsoft, compact, uh, you know, you named the computer system I was involved yeah. in it. as the teacher of the major corporations. And then as a, I was the spokesperson at the big computer conferences. So mm-hmm. you went to any of those mega conferences with 50,000 people. When you'd walk in, it would be say computer college. And that mm-hmm. was me. And I would do four two hour lectures a day for four days in a row to people who were coming in off the street, really curious about yeah. what all this stuff was about, but they didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. So my job was to educate the population who was looking at this. Well, then it was like the computer lady on the commercials on TV. Then it was mm-hmm. interviews week. Then it was, and when you're twenties, you think this is cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What else it's, could I want? It's not for me. It just isn't me. It's, yeah. it's just not, you know, I, I will be happy to be, my dad once said to me, you know, the first thing when you were getting to be about 10, I asked you what you wanted to be which is a question you normally wouldn't ask because he didn't want to plant any seeds in our head about what yeah. to be. Yeah. And um, like, you go be anything. Uh, and he said that I answered by saying I wanted to be anonymous. <laughs> really? As a 10-year-old? Yeah. As a 10-year-old. I That's wanted to be like in the encyclopedia and I wanted to carry a briefcase mm. and I wanted to be earn the right to be interviewed by Johnny Carson. Those are like my three <laughs> things, right? Yeah. Um, but I didn't, yeah, anonymous. So how prescient was that? And of course, I screwed that up in my 20s and 30s, yeah. or early 30s, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So overexposed. And, you know, I taught seven years, all the learning stuff. And that was near about 260 days a year on stage. That's morning and nights, plus all the guitar stuff. And I woke up after that period one day and I, and I used to joke the only way I knew I was home because all the plants were dead. Oh. <laughs> I just oh, no. lived in hotels yeah. and I just, that's yeah. all, I did all day long. And, you know, and you get people in and you'd still have 300 people the next weekend, all of whom were new. Like yeah. I thought this is on a hundred and I'm never going to run out of people. That's not, and I thought this is not good, but the big realization I had after that period was that I was not one day smarter mm. than I had been seven years before. I had not mm. learned anything new. I just was like doing a Vita seven days a week. Yeah, just spinning the wheels I in just, the same spot, huh? Yeah, and, and navigating with my producer promoters 
to get out of that. I mean, that was quite a period of time to do. Mm. And when I got out of it, the first thing I did was, you know, when started doing the online stuff, but I went back and did the PhD because mm. I just needed time to study and get smarter and think about things and solve problems because problems were popping up with students learning. I didn't have any time. Yeah. And they right, you couldn't address them because you had another conference to do, and but that exactly. conference was going to be exactly the same as the one you did the weekend before. So exactly. it's not fulfilling for you. Yep. I can I, I begin to see how it would be appealing to shift to a model where you create the course or write the book mm. because then you can distill this stuff like you know, I mean you keep addressing it, of course, really groups, but yeah, you can go deep one time and say, here it is. Yep. You interact with that. I'm gonna go learn to ride horses. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And that's why, I mean, Great Lives was the first thing I wrote. And I, and I wrote that because I was leaving the teaching of learning to learn. And I wanted right. to leave some sort of artifact behind. Mm-hmm. Now, again, today I could write that book much. It's a good book and people love it and I get lots of feedback on it, but I know I can write that book better. Mm-hmm. And then I continued doing the Training to Train program because that was only like done in three different cities once a year. Mm-hmm. So... I kept doing that. Mm -hmm. And then when I knew for sure I was leaving that, that's when I wrote every student training. So I'm always Mm -hmm. trying to at least leave an artifact of what I've already created behind. But that's really just giving me selfishly permission to go forward to do other things, right? But it feels, I can see how it would feel like a bookend somehow. Like, not that you ever leave any of these things entirely, right? But like to some degree, like the intensive period has now reached a close and it starts, it's time for a new project. Or that context. Like I still think learning to learn and train to train type stuff, Yeah, but it's in a very, very different context now. And, uh, um, you're, you know, you're grabbing onto selling pieces to put together mm-hmm. a new program. Me again here at the editing board. Just uh, had another breakdown in audio here, and it's another natural spot for me to insert this quick, quick, quick little note that I didn't mention before. Um, this book, um, The Beginner Years, uh, Learning to Play a, a Musical Instrument uh, by Stephanie Burns, is going to be the Patreon giveaway this month. So I'll be doing a drawing. Um, all of the show's Patreon supporters will be in that drawing. Um, and otherwise supporters too. We got one good friend who just sends a check into the show. We'll take your money in any form. We don't mind a bit. Um, but I'm going to do a drawing. The winner is going to get a copy of this book. So if you want to be in that drawing and other drawings that we do, just hop over to patreon.com slash joining on podcast and support the show. Also going to try this experiment. I've been threatening to do it for a while. We're going to do a book club. So, uh, hop over onto our social media stuff. Um, and you'll see some announcements about it. Um, as of the release of this episode, we'll take 60 days. Anybody who wants to participate, grab a copy of this book, read it, and we'll discuss, I don't know how best it's going to come out. We'll see if it happens mostly, you know, in chat form on Facebook or via email or what, but just any questions you have for Stephanie to come up, questions that, you know, existential questions that come up in your mind, um, uh, thoughts, insights that come up during the book, even things that you might disagree with possibly, or, you know, if you have contrary experiences and then we'll pull those all together. And I'm hoping to be able to get Stephanie back on the show again, and we can pull from, uh, our book club experience to, uh, you know, kind of give these questions and thoughts to Stephanie and, and, and give her a, a chance to kind of interact with them. Uh, if I can't get her on, you know, she's a busy lady. So, you know, if, if not, then somebody from that same book club, probably, you know, or a panel of people or something, we'll get together and discuss, a few weeks thereafter but uh yeah if you want to try out the book club um just look us up on the social media stuff you'll see it i'll put announcements and stuff around um so just a few minutes left of the interview uh is really fun i could have gone on hours and hours more i hope you're enjoying it as much as i did uh back to stephanie bye-bye there's a guy named um harbinger 
he's a podcaster. This is first Harbinger. Harbinger. Great podcaster. But even he did a thing like about a year ago where he said, you know, the problem is like, I can't promote this podcast. Jordan like, Harbinger. I can't. Say again? Jordan Harbinger. That's it. Yeah, Jordan yeah. Harbinger. So I can't promote this. I can't do anything because as soon as I do that, I start looking like every other podcaster who's just doing shit to try to make money. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. And it's really hard. He goes, this is a real difficult thing. The things we're offering are of value, but I can't actually sell them or really even promote them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I went, whoa, you know, here, here, I'm kind of in that same boat, but you know, it's the boat I chose. Maybe like, so maybe when I'm 70 and two, 80, too old for people to give a shit about me anymore. <laughs> there you go. That's funny. Maybe I'll go and be big. You know, I'll go <laughs> yeah. leave, an art, leave the artifacts behind when I'm no longer here to have to deal with the, yeah. with, with the press and the, and the people because I'm good on stage for sure. I know yeah. that. I know when I'm on stage, I'm going to get, you know, rave reviews and people wonder you know, why I don't do this and that and the other thing. Yeah. Well, anyway. now, not then not to lean too much into commercialism here, but like, just because I'm curious, do, and also no pressure, if you're not sure yet, you know, no pressure to say, but do you know about when we can expect that next book in the music series to come out? I'm going to, yeah, I think it'll be in the next three months. Okay. Um, so I'm just finishing up the last chapter now. Um, the whole, everything else has been fully edited um, so I just have to finish those bits, get them to the editor and that, and then they go and they get digitally published. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got to work on getting the cover because yeah, I want to change the cover because the covers from the first two books, which was supposed to be a series of four, mm. it's not going to work for me. So I have to sort that out. So I think April, the digital publishing will happen, which would mean a May launch. Gotcha. Mm, okay. And that puts me two years behind, by the way. The only reason I'm this not far really. behind is well, I was supposed to come out in 2020, but at the next Piping Hot, that was my one a year. Oh, that was yeah. what I was aiming for. But with COVID, geez, yeah, COVID that's thrown everything school. off. Yeah, it's everything, especially my my mental state for writing, and you know there was too much going on for sure. So I'm well, slowly steady. I'm just thinking. So here's here's what I was gonna do. So for my, I have a small group of Patreon supporters, and so every month I do, I've been trying to do like a giveaway. So it's like Ooh. an album by a, by an artist I interviewed or or something like that. So my plan was to just make the giveaway a Stephanie Burns book of your choice. And I was just going right. to send them a digital copy. But I'm thinking, so I was going to set this interview to release later in the summer. Yep. But I could keep an eye on when the new book comes out and True. release it that month. And it would be fun to be make great. the giveaway the new book. Listen, that would be that would be excellent if we yeah. could do that. And um, absolutely excellent. And, okay. and don't, you know, given the length of this, if you, you know, if you get into this and you go, geez, there's just, there's a lot there, feel free to cut the thing in half or in thirds and put it out in pieces. So, yeah, I know. might end up doing that. The, the name of the show is Droning On. So we're only uh, perfectly on brand if we <laughs> <laughs> go on and on. <laughs> that is so funny. That's so funny because I could probably talk to you for another four hours. So it's like. Yeah, I would love to. Maybe, maybe we could shoot if you if you feel like you have time, Stephanie. Maybe we can circle back and talk again sometime. I would really enjoy that. I would. I would absolutely do that. You've been lovely to talk to, and you've been fully engaged. And probably that bit of nervousness and anxiousness is a good thing because it just made you very present with me. So, mm. um, 
you know, I can get people who get nervous either to meet or to interview and that gets in the way, but you kind of settled that down quickly. And I hopefully did a good job in helping you settle down. You are very helpful. You're very accommodating. I do appreciate that. Yep. And then, you know, we're going to have to have a coffee or a meal or a beer. That's the price whenever I'm in Utah. Deal. That would be great. That would be great. Um, so I will have the links for books um, that are already published in there in the show in the show notes. Um, and just uh, anything else that feels applicable, I'll put it all down there in the show notes. Okay. Um, and uh, well, yeah, and give me like a couple weeks. I'll let you know when the book's coming. And- yeah.